Um, it is now 5.30 and I will call to order the regularly scheduled board meeting of the Shawnee Mission School District Board of Education. The first item of our agenda this evening is the Pledge of Allegiance. I'll ask you all to rise and join us, please. Thank you. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which we stand, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The next item on our agenda is the adoption of the agenda. I'll please seek a motion to adopt the agenda. So moved, Goodburn. Do I have a second? Second. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none, that passes unanimously. The second item on the agenda is the approval of our minutes. Item 1.04, do we have a motion for that? Move approval. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Is there a second? Borgman, second. Thank you, Ms. Borgman. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none, that passes unanimously. We will now move to the public comment portion of our meeting this evening. Um, due to circumstances related to COVID-19 and in order to adequately plan for public safety, we ask patrons to submit a request to public comment no later than noon on the day of the regularly scheduled board meeting. We have those requests here with us this evening. And so we're just going to go ahead and get started so that we don't run out any time. We do re ask respectfully that you keep your comments to three minutes in order to allow other speakers to have the opportunity for their full window of three minutes. Board members may ask limited comments that are clarifying questions if they misunderstood or they want clarification on an issue, but otherwise we don't normally speak in response to public comment. The first person I am inviting to the podium this evening is Dr. Kate Hartman. Thank you for having me. My name is Kate Hartman and I'm a pediatrician in Johnson County and have been in practice for 15 years. I currently have two, da two daughters at Shawnee Mission East and a son at Indian Hills Middle School. I am representing many parent physicians in the Shawnee Mission School District who have collaborated to create this statement. We are headed into a school year like no other. We are facing a virus that no one has encountered before that even the experts know little about. We need to approach this extraordinary challenge from a place of strength and innovation and not be driven by fear. I think we are all in agreement that schools are an essential service. Schools and school supported programs, including sports, are fundamental to child and adolescent development and well being. They provide our children with academic instruction, social and emotional skills, safety, reliable nutrition physical, speech therapy, mental health services, and opportunities for physical activity, just to name a few of the benefits. We may be unsettled on the health risk of sending children to classes during a pandemic, but there's no question about the harm that will ensue if they stay home. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, the importance of in-person learning is well-documented and there is already evidence of the negative impacts on children because of school closures in the spring. We are seeing child abuse more frequently in our emergency departments. Suicide rates are rising. Substance abuse is increasing. And calls to suicide help centers are up over 30%. We are seeing these effects in our offices, treating and caring for increased anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. Suicide is now the second leading cause of death in our teenage population, with 6,200 deaths in 2017. 
a Time Magazine article looking at mental health services in school-aged children found that over 50% of children who received any mental health services got at least a portion of those services from their school. And over 35% received all of their mental health services from their school. We are not equipped to handle the mental health crisis without the help of our school system. We are not powerless against this virus. Face masks and proper hygiene have been shown to greatly reduce transmission. The Shawnee Mission School District has implemented safety measures following the AAP and the CDC guidelines and there are smart people who have put into place distancing, masking, cleaning. We need to trust this process and trust our PPE, protective, personal protective equipment. Many of you have already heard Dr. Christine White address the Blue Valley School Board. Thank you. Your time is up to three minutes. That's concluded. Thank you for being here this evening. The next person to speak this evening is Rafaela Valdez. Good evening. My name is Rafaela. I am here on, here to speak on behalf of my two children. One is going into kindergarten. My oldest is going to seventh grade. We've all experienced virtual learning in our home last year with a pre-K student and a sixth grade student. In my opinion, both my children are very smart. However, my oldest was diagnosed with ADHD and a reading disorder winter of 2019. Last year, we had a few meetings and evaluations to see if she qualified for IEP. Unfortunately, she did not. Sorry, but she was going to get the help that she needed and we were going to meet again in the spring to see if she qualified for a 504 plan, but due to the shutdown, we couldn't do that. Her stepdad and I experienced firsthand her crying nearly every day from the anxiety she was getting from doing virtual learning, the apps that she needed to use to complete her work, not wanting to work, the VPN not wanting to connect. She came to us to tell us that she felt dumb because she couldn't understand what she was supposed to do and some of the messages not wanting to get through to her teachers. We tried to help her as much as we could. At the time, all of us, all of this, yes, I was able to stay home due to my work following the guidelines of having us shut down. Then I had a kiddo that was in pre-K last year and his teacher was amazing with sending videos to, every, to us every day regarding the schoolwork that needed to be completed. Before spring break and the shutdown, I had a parent-teacher conference with this teacher and we both agreed that agreed that he needed to get evaluated for IP when he returned from spring break. However, yet again, that couldn't happen. And then I was sent an email this summer that he will be able to have the chance to get evaluated for IP once he returned from the school, for the school district. I am sorry, I lost my place. You're okay. You can also provide us with your comments when you're done. So. I'm sorry? I'm, I'm saying when you're done, you can also provide us with your comments so that we can have them to read them too. Okay. Um, sorry, I lost my spot. Um, I have two children that need to be in school. They have experienced anxiety due to the virtual learning. They have a lot better, they do a lot better when shown than told. Their dad works full time and I work full time as a healthcare provider. The way our children are being taught is a lot different than when I went to school. And I do, I do not want to fail my children. 
I attended Crestview Antioch and graduated from North. I was able to share my, with my daughter the stories of some of the amazing opportunities I was able to experience, like sixth grade Olympics and sixth grade graduation. All of that was taken away from her last year. She was looking forward to starting middle school, trying out for the volleyball team. She cheers for Shiny Mission North through the KCFC program, and she was looking forward to having all the girls on her squad finally in the same school. To be able to try new things and feel, and the feeling you, you get to make new friends. Thank you. We appreciate it. I'm sorry. Are we saying as a board that we cannot afford 10 minutes extra in time to let a pediatrician who works? Thank you. The next person speaking is TJ Wright. My name is TJ Wright. I live in Leewood, Kansas. have two boys at Shawnee Mission South, one senior, one sophomore. I'm here to ask that we please stop living in fear of this all-too-real virus and let these kids go to school, play sports, play in the band, sing in the choir, be on the yearbook staff, and debate each other and all the other things that they're passionate about. For those whose opinions are different than mine, I will say that I understand and respect that, but the fears and concerns that are keeping all these kids from their passions and the clubs and the things that they do should not be used to make a unilateral decision to take all this away. I'm typically part of the silent majority. In this case, this vocal minority has taken all this away and I can't stay silent this time. This is the wrong decision. Let our kids go to school. Let them pursue their passions. I'm not saying don't take precautions. I believe in the mask. They should be worn. I believe the virus is very real and should be respected. People have to be responsible and take all necessary precautions, but that doesn't mean that we need to bow down in fear and shut down life as we know it. Let our kids go to school. I work in the general public. I manage people, and I've uh, been in contact with 200 employees spread across Johnson County. I've been in contact with thousands of people over the course of the last six months. I've been in a mask since March 15th. They work. Everyone needs to wear a mask. The vocal minority I've spoken of already will point to the fact that we don't know enough about this virus to safely go back to school. If that's truly the case, I will argue we also don't know enough about it to cancel life as we know it. Please let our kids go to school. I know enough about my own kids specifically and about kids in general to speak to the mental health of youth. I've been a coach in wrestling, basketball, and football for the last 15 years as well as a Boy Scout leader. I currently employ many of the kids who want to be in school. I know kids, I know how they think, and I know how they feel. The adverse side effects to the mental health of our kids cannot be discounted as we are forced to bow down to the fears of this virus. If you take away all these, all that these kids have worked for their entire young lives to this point, depression, anxiety, disappointment, and addiction are not going to sneak up on us. They're going to smack all of us and you in the face. When, and I stress when, not if this happens, I will be holding the Shawnee Mission School District and this board responsible. We can't control the virus. We can, however, control the response. The current decision is not the correct response. I know there are some in the district who disagree, and I respect that. For those who disagree, please take the option you've got to do online education or homeschool your children. People have many different reasons and circumstances where that is the best decision for their family. Please do not dictate to me what the best decision is for my family. Please let our kids go to school. I'm going to give my last five seconds to the next person. Thank you. Thank you.
The next person on our list is Rusty Majed. Thanks, TJ. I'll put them to good use. Members of the school board, my name is Rusty Mudgett. I thank you for the opportunity to speak to you tonight. Today I'm here in my most important job as a father of three children that attend Shawnee Mission Northwest High School. My beautiful daughter Sam is a senior, my brother Jack, or I'm sorry, my, uh, her brother Jack, a junior, and her brother, their brother, Josh, my youngest, is looking forward to his freshman year. My wife and I are very blessed. All of them are great kids, good students, and multi-sport athletes. So it was no surprise when my children came to me last week when they'd heard that both school and sports had been canceled and said, Dad, we've come too far. We've worked too, far, too, too long and too hard for it to end like this. So today, I've gathered a few hundred friends and folks from across the district to let that voice be heard and encourage all of us to work together to find an alternative and let our kids play. Here are some ideas. First and foremost, we ask that you create an ongoing forum and dialogue with a committee of parents, coaches, and community leaders that meets regularly to open communications and work together to find a solution. Please reconsider or modify the use of current gating criteria. This criteria was originally intended to be used by hospitals to estimate potential demands for their resources not for deciding if kids can go to school and play sports. If the current gating criteria remains in effect for Shawnee Mission, we will never achieve the less than 5% positive test required to play, either now or in the spring. The reality is that healthy people are not a part of this calculation. Healthy people are not being tested, and the skating method is locking down our schools, our economy, and our livelihoods. If the gating criteria is still the only method we can come up with, then certainly at least consider eliminating the oldest and most affected age groups from the calculation to give our kids a chance to play. 70% of our teachers voted to go back to school last month. But if online school is still your decision, then please give the choice to play sports back to the players, back to the parents, back to the coaches, let them decide the risk versus rewards, just as they've always done. The CDC published a report on July 23rd recommending, recommending the return to school for the importance of safety, social development, and mental health, and education. Robert Redfield, the director of the CDC, said in his July 31st testimony to Congress, it's important to realize that it's in the public's best interest that K through 12 students get back to face-to-face -face learning. There's really very significant public health consequences with school closures. We're seeing an increase in drug abuse and suicide in adolescents. Thank this you. Your time has come to an end. Thank you. Our next speaker this evening is Liz Bellinger. Thank you. I thought I can take this off right while I'm speaking, right? I'll wash this down when I'm done. Okay, my name is Liz Belanger, and I am advocating for in-person learning. Um, my perspective comes from my son, who's a high school senior, and I'm speaking on behalf of his friends and my friends. Online instruction and extracurricular and not having extracurricular sports does more damage to COVID than by... Than by 
Let me start over, sorry, I'm nervous. Online instruction and no extracurricular sports does more damage than COVID. I indicated that earlier by looking at the severity indicators. COVID is under control, things are flat, we know it's real, we know treatment is effective. Hospitals are, in, are prepared to care for the kids with COVID. We can be prudent and put on masks, good hand washing, and we are grateful that the district has taken all those safety measures and put all those things into place that we listened to for the four hour board meeting on all the other things that you've put online. So thank you for that. But online education doesn't work. In-person is important because teens need a sense of belonging that is critical to their development. We are denying them the camaraderie, the sense of unity, and the the team, the team spirit that comes along with cheering for their team sport. We've removed opportunities for them to participate in activities that provide confidence, leadership, and social skills, and that motivate, motivation to succeed in those outside extracurricular activities. The, the, uh, also, the increased stress of no financial scholarships based on those extracurricular activities that they're at a loss for. In-classroom instruction provides better education and a safe social interaction, meeting their healthy mental health needs. You know, kids, social butterflies are gonna find a way to connect. They're gonna use unsafe spaces and possibly unsafe behaviors, and how is that good for our community? The kids that are introverts, they're gonna be isolated. They're not going to reach out, and they need their people. They need the social support. Online learning increases is increase their screen time. Remember when that was the problem before COVID? Now it's up to 500% more of screen on. Screen time is up 500%, and we know that that correlates to obesity, low self-esteem, and increased depression. You've already heard the mental health problems. So we cannot. We must look at psychological component must be considered, and the mental health damages are significant and long-lasting. We've got to help with our kids. Let's give them hope, and let's give them the social support, their teachers and their peers, that they need to meet their emotional and social needs and be better Thank learners. You. Be creative. Make it happen. Thank, Thank you. you. The next speaker this evening is Jay Hepler. Yes, sir. I got it. Uh, my name is Jay Hepler, and I am the father of Quincy Hepler. Uh, Quincy is a senior at Shawnee Mission East and currently plays on the girls' golf team. I am here representing that Shawnee Mission East girls' golf team, which is returning four seniors and one junior from their 2019 state championship team, of which all five players are, were awarded All-State honors. The reason I am addressing you today is that I believe the board has acted arbitrarily in suspending all fall sports without taking into consideration the differences of each particular sport's risk to COVID transmission. And thus, the board did not take into consideration the relative risk of any one sport. Golf is being played at record levels. In fact, next door to this building, Milburn Country Club has seen 7,000 more rounds played from March 1st through July 31st this year compared to last year with no known COVID transmissions. Tournaments have been conducted at local, state, and national levels all summer. The Kansas City Golf Association has hosted 63 tournaments from June 1st through August 6th, nearly one a day with no known transmissions. 
Golf is played every day in America by kids, adults, and seniors with little or no history of transmission. Golf is an outdoor activity. All research confirms out, outside activity has very low risk of covered transmission. And if certain protocols are met, uh, followed, there is almost zero risk. Golf is a naturally social distancing sport. High school golf requires athletes to walk and carry their own bag. Etiquette of the game requires that opponents stand further than six feet away from each other as not to be in one's line of play. Golf courses have implemented additional safety measures, including leaving the pins in, the removal of rakes and water stations to alleviate concerns of touching common surfaces. There are currently no restrictions at a local or state level, uh, and Kansas has been deemed an essential function. Uh, golf has been deemed an essential function in Kansas. The board's decision to spend all sports denies the Shawnee Mission East girls golf team the opportunity to defend their state title. The board's decision denies the opportunities for players to showcase their talents to college co coaches and will impact their ability to get college scholarships. The board's decision could additionally financially impact the players and the families if they do not get these scholarships. Certainly there's an emotional impact these athletes face losing their season. Of course, this can be said of other sports as well. However, however due to the uniqueness of golf's playing environment, the board, at least for this sport, has the ability to mitigate those damages by reinstating girls golf and allowing these young ladies the opportunity to play their 2020 season. Again, we believe the board's decision to suspend all sports is arbitrary and made without full consideration of the real risk of virus transmission in golf. Golf is unique in the way that it is played outdoors and has built-in social distancing. We would therefore ask you as educators to reconsider your position and immediately reinstate girls golf for all Shawnee Mission schools. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Kim Jenkins. Is Kim Jenkins here this evening? Oh, she's just behind David. Sorry about that. <laughs> Hi, I am Kim Jenkins. Um, I'm a parent to three current Raymar students. I also have a son who graduated from Northwest. I myself grew up in this district from kindergarten through 12th grade. So I have a history with this district. I've seen it being a shining star among districts, and I've watched it slowly become a district that's lacking in many ways. And now you're a district losing kids due to unenrollment. I'm here tonight to speak up, to stand up for the in-person education that our children deserve and that we as taxpayers have paid for. I appreciate you allowing me to speak tonight, but I hope that we're all able to truly listen with the intent, whether we agree or disagree, we need to be open to listen to what everybody has to say. About me, I'm currently a stay-at-home mom, but I worked at Children's Mercy for 19 years in the pediatric ICU, urgent care, and on the vascular access team. I took care of the sickest of the sick. I managed airways, I did compressions, I managed life-saving medications, I cared for essential lines. I loved many of those kiddos as if they were my own. I grieved and cried over children and with their families. I was with them in the worst moments of their lives, and I spoke at the funerals for kids that they never thought they would have to bury. I also celebrated many triumphs and miracles over the years. So to be told by many in the public that I don't care about the health of children because I want to see them back in person at school is difficult to me, insulting to say the least. I take it very personally because I spent many years caring for your children. Do you know what the PICU will be full of in approximately six weeks? RSV kiddos and flu positive kiddos. The transmission rate of these viruses in kids is extremely high and has never been treated as a pandemic. We have never shut down schools or required kids to wear masks or stay six feet apart. 
Keep in mind that the current hospitalization rate due to COVID in our county is 1% for ages 0 to 30. The death rate is 0%. 0%. So why now for a disease that has a low transmission rate among children are we feeling the need to close our schools? I realize the response to this will be the lives of teachers and the loved ones at home. Let me preface this with the fact that I've loved our teachers at Raymarsh. Many of them have gone above and beyond to educate and support my children. My daughter went from a child who would cry just thinking about having to stand in front of a crowd to a kiddo that stood in front of the school and accepted a responsibility award last year. Her personality is nurtured in school by her other children and teachers. That social interaction is a must for her. We can never thank our teachers enough for what they pour into our kids. I'm here today because of the teachers that poured into me, and I'm sure you would all say the same. The fact that people who want their children back in school are being regarded as people who think your teachers, or we think our teachers are daycare providers and babysitters, it's simply not true. Do you know there have not been any where there's not been any outbreaks in daycares, daycares that have remained open so parents could work. My point being that we as a nation haven't given the same regard to daycare workers, retail workers, restaurant workers, healthcare workers. How can we possibly say one's more one's life is more important than any other? We have enough online support that the teachers that want to work online can do that. The parents, why are we going to do a survey if we're not going to listen to the majority? And I'm speaking towards mental health. I will keep my thoughts on that brief, but we can't ignore the impact of depression and mental illness that this pandemic has increased in our children and adults. You as a district cannot blindly ignore Thank the you. fact that children are being left home alone. Thank you, you cannot ignore the fact that children are being left end. alone with their abusers. You cannot ignore these kids. No our longer next have speaker their is Miss Emily Bartlett. The place Thank that you. How I can't Miss Emily Bartlett is our next speaker. Thank you, Miss Bartlett. Is it okay if I keep my mask on? Thank you. I feel better about that. My name is Emily Bartlett. I have a husband who teaches in Shawnee Mission. He's actually taught some of your kiddos. Uh, we had Corey. We had some Owsleys before. So um, he teaches at North. Uh, I grew up in the Shawnee Mission District, and my daughter will attend there when she is old enough. The last time I was up here, it was on a decision that I disagreed with you about. And I would be remiss if I could not get up here and also tell you about the decisions that I absolutely agree with you on. This is a decision that I absolutely agree with you on. And I wish that I could shake your hand and say thank you. Because right now I'm speaking for teachers. I don't, haven't heard anybody speak to the teachers as of yet. I keep hearing that teachers have had a choice that they can choose online, and that was not true. The teachers got a survey where they could say a preference, and if there was a spot open, they could take that spot, and if there wasn't, then they were out of luck. They did not get their first choices, and some of them now can teach virtually or do whatever, and even Dr. Schumacher himself said that when they gave that survey, the choices were you could teach online, but know that you may not be placed back in the school that you came from. And a lot of teachers answered with that in mind, that they didn't want to say goodbye to a school that they had maybe spent 15, 16, 20 years at. So that is not a great statistic to use in my head. I love sports. I did a lot of sports in high school. My husband coached a lot of sports. I understand that they're important. I understand mental health. I work in the mental health field currently. I work with people who have suicidal 
ideation. It's not fun. It's really hard, and I get it. What I want to say, though, is the teachers are needing a voice in this. They appreciate that you gave them a voice. They appreciate that you said, we are going to keep in mind your life, your family's lives. We are going to help keep everyone safe. And I appreciate that. I have a lot of things that I had wanted to say. And obviously, I'm not going to get to all of them. Uh, number one, I don't bow down to fear or virus. Thank you. Um, you know, I think a lot of times an essential worker, people say that, but what they mean is it's inconvenient if you don't work or you're expendable. I don't think teachers are essential in that way. I think they can teach from home, and it's twice as hard. They're not trying to be lazy. They're not trying to get out. And I know you guys know that. I know that you guys know that, and you made the best decision, and I'm really appreciative of that. Thank, Thank you, you very much. And I will leave out of the room. Um, our public comment does end at 6 p.m. We have one more person, Ms. Feingold. I see that you have written that you are here to speak in support of the decision. I would like to ask you at this time, do you need to make your comments or can we, uh, we have a clock at 6 and I appreciate you being here to say support. And you cut it short. Can you make it quick, quick? Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm not going to waste time saying who I am. I work here. My kid yeah. goes here, blah, blah, blah. Uh, this is not the beginning of the school year anyone hoped for. This is about trying to do the best we can for our kids while experiencing the ongoing realities of loss. We all want our students to have as many meaningful interactions with talented education professionals as possible, coaches, teachers, specialists that can help them stay on track. We all want to preserve our kids' future opportunities, whether they're academic, athletic, vocational, or developmental in nature, and in the performing or fine arts, forensics, debate, ROTC sports, or any of the numerous programs and activities that have been accessible under normal circumstances. It can be difficult to explain gating criteria, learning models, accompanying restrictions, and loss to our kids when we as adults may be struggling to understand. But there is something we all understand, rules. Regardless of what activities our kids may be involved in, there are rules. Marching band, football, forensics, photography, math, lunch, you name it, there are rules that must be followed to successfully participate. And we as adults are aware of this. We don't drive on the wrong side of the road, show up to a construction job without protective gear, or wear purple mohawks to our corporate job. It's part of life in a functioning society. And while we might be free to show up in that purple mohawk, we would expect consequences for noncompliance. KSDE, KCDHE, and SMNC are no different. Our community COVID numbers must be within certain limits for us to participate. Those are the rules. SMSD released its gating criteria weeks ago, July 29th, stating the district is taking a science-based, safety-first approach to decision-making and shared a link detailing, detailing exactly what they were. We may not think the rules are fair. We might suspect someone is cheating. We might know that we made it safely to home plate but still got called out. Yelling and screaming isn't likely to change the call, but it might get you kicked out of the game. How many of us really want to encourage our kids to threaten the ref when they get called offsides, to stop acting 
if they don't win a role in the school play or give up on a class if they bomb a test. We teach our kids to persevere, to keep trying, to find ways to grow and mature with the goal of making their skills, their team, their schools, their communities stronger. And we need to model this behavior. This is not about politics. It's about demonstrating what it looks like to face difficulties and challenging situations with civility and determination until we break through to the other side. Thank you. Thank you. That concludes the public comment portion of this evening. We do have administrators that will need to come in to sit in some of these chairs. Thank you. How do we share our statements with you? If you could provide them with the board clerk, she'll make copies and give them to us. Thank you. Yeah, we're just going to take a five-minute break really quick while we turn the room. The next item on the the next item on the agenda is the report from the superintendent. So we'll just turn it over to Dr. Fulton. Okay, thank you very much. It's great to see everybody this evening, and thanks to those who were here for public comment. We also want to take time to thank uh, all the folks who came out to Shawnee Mission West to share their thoughts on the importance of school in their lives, whether it's in school attendance, remote, or uh, activities in athletics. And I want to kind of start with that in terms of reopening. You know, we this is a, it's a difficult time in America, isn't it? We've got a lot of folks who uh, are longing for and want, I think we all want, to have what we're, we're used to, what's normal in our lives. And the faster that we can return to that, the better. Our challenge is trying to do that in a way that keeps students and staff families, community safe. And it's trying to put that piece of the puzzle together that is the challenge that we all face. I'm reflecting back to last March when we went on spring break. You know that's the last time that we, let, that we saw staff. We haven't been together as a group since last March. Tomorrow is their first day back. And so we're very excited about inviting our 3,500 staff plus staff members back in person, having the opportunity to sit down and really look at where we've been and where we're at, and import, very importantly, where we're going in terms of our next steps. We want to make sure that our students have learning in ways that meet their needs. And that's exactly what we need to try to deliver this year. We'll be talking about that a little bit later on. We, uh, as I think as folks know, we're due to, we're scheduled to uh, start the school year on September 8th in a remote mode. We'll be talking about that some tonight. Not only what happens on September 8th, but what begins to happen after September 8th and steps that we're taking to try to address some of the concerns that we've heard today. So we're doing everything we can, again, to try to make sure and keep students, staff, and family members safe and healthy. And that's in every aspect of their lives, physically healthy, emotionally healthy. It all matters. So we're going to, uh, we're going to stay focused, though, also on taking a science-based and safety-first approach. And that decision is in line with the Johnson County Department of Health and Environment. None of their guidelines 
As you know, for the moment, activities in athletics are suspended while schools are in the red gating zone. It's our hope that we move out of red as quickly as possible. Again, we'll have some more on that a little bit later on in the presentation. Um, but anyway, I just want to thank you as a board for the work that you do. I want to thank the community for coming out and sharing their thoughts with us. Uh, it's not just a Shawnee Mission issue. These conversations are taking place all over America right now. And I think everybody has the same goal. We want, to, we want to get to a place where we can bring our students back into school and get back with normal activity. How we get there is the challenge. So with that, I just want to thank you again. Thank you, board, for your work and for your, your listening that you did today. Um, with that, I also want to uh, share with you that we do have our SMSD Connect program. That is our, that is our program that we have for students who are doing uh, online-only instruction. And I want to mention that Laura Brogdon, Dr. Laura Brogdon will serve as the principal for that school. We've talked about that previously. We are calling it SMSD Connect. We have a new website for SMSD Connect that will be live this week. And as this launches, administrators and educators will be answering more questions about remote learning. We're also grateful to everyone who's working to provide a personalized and robust experience in each of our learning models. Uh, next, I want to give you an update on Broadmoor Farm Innovations. As our community might have seen at the Center uh, for Academic Achievement here in the back of this property, we have a number of learning opportunities that have been growing for Shawnee Mission students. This spring, a farm expansion project was completed with support from the 2015 bond issue and several generous donors. The project included a greenhouse and a tractor barn. Our culinary arts and hospitality program students, led by Bob uh, Bressard and our chief and our chef instructors oversee the farm and it serves as a resource for the Broadmoor Bistro, our student-run farm-to-table restaurant. This farm will serve as a classroom and eventually will serve as a field trip site for students. Several of our signature pro uh, programs for students at the CAA will also utilize that site for projects. This summer, biotechnology instructor Kenneth Lee spent time testing soil with two students in order to help optimize growing. Culinary arts students and their chef instructors are looking forward to providing some hands-on visual learning experiences for the entire community. So uh, congratulations and a big thank you to all of the staff who have been working on um, growing our farm, literally. Uh, we also, uh, as we all know, our community really stepped up to ensure that students would receive breakfast and lunch through a free pick-up-and-go meals program. Numerous volunteers and staff dedicated time through the spring and summer to make sure that essential needs were met. These efforts were led by Nancy Kokenauer and the tremendous team in food service who served a grand total of 303,290 meals to students. They were there right from the beginning making sure that the children in our community had the nutrition they needed when schools were shut down. And that work continued all through the summer. So on behalf of everyone, thank you all for all that you've done for our students, both this past spring and this summer. Finally, I want to mention that uh, deadlines approaching for filling out the 2020 census. A census will provide resources for children in our community for the next 10 years. So we encourage everyone in our community to complete the 2020 census. 
You, individuals can fill out the census over the phone using a paper form or by filling it out online. And census takers have been visiting households in our county. So for more details on how to fill out the census in Johnson County, you can visit countmeinjoco.org. So I encourage people to fill out the census. That concludes my report. Um, and you have additional information on school updates coming during the reopening section under the discussion items. So we we'll, do. We'll do questions during the reopening school update and move to the board report at this time. First person on our board report item, if my computer would move forward, uh, Ms. Borgman, do you have an update for us from SMAC PTA? Yes, SMAC wanted me to pass along that they are working with the district to provide new underwear and socks to kiddos that need them around the district. So thank you very much to SMAC for providing that obviously needed resource for kids. Thank you. Um, Ms. Henry, do you have an update for us from the foundation? Yeah, I'm just inviting everyone to hold the date of November 3rd, which is when the Shawnee Mission Education Foundation will do their annual breakfast. There are a lot of fingers crossed that it will be in person, but they're also prepared for it to be a virtual event. It'll happen that date either way. Did you say November 3rd? November 3rd, yes. Okay, that one should be easy to remember. Thank you. <laughs> um, Reverend Guy, you are on the line. Do you have an update for us from the KSB Board of Directors? Yes, we're having our board meeting this Saturday via Zoom, and uh, the primary topic of discussion will be what we're going to do for our annual meeting held in December. Um, I also participated in the KASB advocacy update last Friday, August 21st. That was also a Zoom meeting, and got lots of good information. Um, Dr. Sinclair, I'm sure, is going to bring back a lot of that information to us after the legislative committee meets there for KASB, so um, I'll let her cover a lot of what's going on legislatively. Uh, but I did want to echo uh, Dr. Fulton's comment that we need people to fill out the census. We are about 80% of Kansas citizens have filled it out, but we still have a ways to go. So please fill out your census and remind friends and family to do that as well, and that is my report. Thank you, Reverend Guy. Dr. Sinclair, I'll turn to you with a legislative liaison report. So the KASB Legislative Committee will meet this Saturday, the first and kind of primary meeting of this group to help establish annual state priorities for the state organization. And so it is our opportunity as a district to identify any particular issues that we want to um, bring to the committee and make sure that are on the agenda. Um, if we look at last year's legislative priority for the district, things like um, the um, uh, school finance, the continual focus on the renewal of high-density at-risk funding, I assume, will be um, a topic of um, priority for this committee, but one that you know I think we can look to reinforce. Um, things like uh, health and safety and social-emotional well-being for Shawnee Mission legislative priorities includes support for increased funding um, and access to mental health and behavioral health services, which we've heard a lot about in our day today and throughout emails for the last several um, weeks. So those kinds of things we'll I'll keep an eye out during the conversation, but we have opportunities for feedback as a group between now and Saturday. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, Ms. Goodburn, I'll turn to you both in your capacity as KASB Nominating Committee and the Policy Review Committee. Um, so for KS, KASB Nominating, our meeting is in, not until September 12th. I think our next meeting is the 14th, so I should have information at that next meeting for that. 
Um, for policy review committee, um, you all tonight on the agenda are action items 502, 503, 504, and then a first reading for another policy on 505. Um, and so I'll, go, I'll cover those later in the meeting. Um, and our next meeting, I believe, I think I saw it on the calendar next week. So you know, that's the update. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, Brad, I will turn to you for finance and facilities update. Uh, there's no update uh, since our last meeting on August 3rd. Um, as school begins, uh, we'll be talking about some of the items on the plate for the Finance Committee to, to discuss real soon. So we'll set a date and we'll let you know. Thank you. Okay, and that moves us on to our board financial report. Yes, Mr. Russ Knapp will come forward and he's our chief financial officer. He'll provide you with your regular report. Yeah. Good evening. So, yes, tonight's board financial report is for July 2020, our first month of the new fiscal year, so there's not a lot of activity there, um, except for the Federal CARES Act money. So I'd like to give you an update on that. And so the ESSER spending as of uh, Monday, when I put these numbers together, as you recall, we, had, uh, we received $2.6 million in an award, Approximately 432,000 of that will be set aside for private schools. So that leaves us about 2.2 million to spend uh, for Shawnee Mission. <clears throat> and as of Monday, we have spent or committed through a purchase order, which is board approved, or for future commitments, 1.8 million. So that leaves us about $400,000 of the ESSER money uh, that we received back in um, April. In addition to that, we still have about $260,000 in the same ESSER money that's for special education programs. And so I just wanted to give you an update on that. And so that concludes my report. So does anybody have any questions? Thank you. Does anyone have questions at this time? Dr. Sinclair? Just a quick question. Can mm -hmm. you um, just remind us again the, the, the expenditures to date have been for masks and um, face shields and... Um, yeah, filters the, for the air. Yeah, that was the large one that you mm -hmm. approved August 10th, maybe 30000 for the air scrubbers, Filtration. purifiers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then we bought the canvas. So we okay. have one year, and then we're going to commit to buying year two out of the CARES Act money. So our learning management system also. Okay, filters, thank you. Filters, mask. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you. Ms. Henry, did you have a question? Did I see that out of the corner? Oh, I made it up. Okay. Well, are there any further? All right, seeing none, thank you very much, Russ. Thank you. Thank you. All right, the next item on our agenda is item 3.1, a discussion of reopening school update, and I will turn it over to Dr. Fulton for that. Okay, thank you. I'll go up to the podium. Well, good evening. Tonight, with uh, the help of some colleagues, we're going to give you an update on school reopening. Usually when you get to the opening of school, it's an exciting time of year, isn't it? There's, uh, we get together, we have rallies, we do all kinds of things that uh, are fun to do and is exciting to do. This year is a little bit different and uh, in ways that we could never have imagined a year ago. Schools across the country are having to design up new, sets, new ways of learning under a set of assumptions that is sometimes really challenging. We've been fortunate because we have a lot of partnership going on, not just among school districts in the county, but also with the Johnson County Department of 
health and environment and other resources as well. We've been working hard since last March to process not only what learning can and should look like in a remote environment, and we know that last year we did some things well and there was a lot of things that because of lack of preparation we were not able to do in the way that we wanted to. We spent this summer working hard on developing plans and putting together a strategy that we felt would prepare us to get ready for the first day of school. We've been sharing those with you throughout uh, the course of the summer. As we get close to September 8th, we're excited about students coming back. We also recognize that this is a work in progress. So tonight, we want to update you on the progress that we've made and share with you some thoughts about future direction. So uh, I want to begin by always going back to our North Star. We've heard a lot this evening. We heard this from, uh, from our community in our session from 3 to 4.30, our, our listening session. We heard it again tonight. Building an equitable culture is important, isn't it? Every child matters. Every child comes from a different context, has different needs. And uh, living out this commitment to an inclusive and equitable culture is a work in progress. And there's some things that I think we're doing well, and there's some things that we can get better at, and that will always be the case. I think the key thing is, is to recognize what those things you're doing well are and celebrate that. And where there's areas we need to get better, identify it and keep working at it. I think tonight's very much about that. There is, in all of this discussion, though, something that's really important. And that is making sure that every single one of our students is prepared when they leave high school. We have a plan that really is a bit timeless, isn't it? The notion that we have a personalized learning plan never goes away in life. We do have these periods of time where when you're in pre-K-12, you're college and career ready. And that matters, but life doesn't stop with high school graduation. It continues on. We need to get our students ready for an ever-changing world, just like we're experiencing today. We also need to make sure that students have the interpersonal skills they need for life success. There's the challenge of remote learning when that's your primary mode of instructional delivery. We understand that fully. We also know that when there are conditions that require you to do so, then we have to create creative solutions and get to the ideal, which is the ability of students to come into school as quickly as you safely and reasonably can. So this is our North Star. It will remain our North Star throughout uh, the school year, regardless of mode of learning that we're in. And one of the things we want to do is bring to you reports that will help us to show how our students are doing with their learning, but also to the extent we can measure some of those key uh, health indicators that we also know are important, interpersonal skill indicators. Um, we're in this continuous cycle of studying these issues. How do we pro provide a safe learning and work environment? That is a fundamental question that we are 
trying to answer, and we will continue to work on answering that as time goes on. How do we deliver learning in different modes? And how do we make sure that we have safe operations? We know it's a work in progress, and so that's why we come back to you tonight. You've had a number of these. You'll have more. It's a work in progress, and we want to come back and update you on where we're at and to the very best of our ability, respond to, to your questions. Uh, with that, we want to start off by looking at our learning models. As a reminder, we have students in one of two modalities. We have students who have chosen to be online only for the entire semester. They'll do remote learning. We talked about that a little bit earlier in my superintendent comments in SMSD Connect. But we also have uh, a group of students who signed up for in-person learning. And when they did that, we know that it's going to be in one, potentially one of three modalities. Everybody in school, uh, having school in a, in a hybrid model, which means some days are in person and some days are remote. And if necessary, doing that learning remote. And it depends a little bit on the gating criteria as to which uh, learning mode you're in. So I want to start there uh, and turn it over to Interim Associate Superintendent uh, Dr. Schumacher, and he's going to uh, give you an update on where we are in the area of uh, remote learning. Thank you, Dr. Fulton. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for your time. Uh, as Dr. Fulton alluded to, I want to provide a quick update on our staffing uh, situation since we last met a couple weeks ago. And I do think it's important to take into account what Dr. Fulton just mentioned is that from a staffing standpoint, what we're looking at is the remote needs and the in-person needs. And within that in-person need, um, not really considering the gating criteria, that at some point we need to be hybrid, at some point we need to be in-person, and so making sure that we've staffed appropriately to serve those needs when, it, when we're at that point. So this first slide <clears throat> takes a look at a couple graphics that we've shown you in the past, but I think they're good talking points um, for me to, to talk about the need to balance both student and staff preferences. Um, and, and you're going to see that when I, I show you some information around the elementary and the secondary staffing. But the tenets that we look at, um, I, I think, are seen here. We need to first, whenever we're making decisions with education, what's best for students? Number one, what's, what's the best thing for us to do with students? And so as we were designing an elementary plan, we were looking through that lens. And as we were designing a secondary plan, we are looking at that lens. Secondly, what is best for the group of uh, staff members that we're dealing with? And so we have various types of certified staff members. We have gen ed teachers, we have special education teachers, we have elementary uh, specials, a number of them. And so what is the best decision uh, for that group as a whole? And then thirdly, how can we meet those staff preferences? And so we, we preference those staff members. Um, and considering those first two things first, uh, how can we meet those staff needs? Secondly, um, while we're doing all of those different pieces, it's clearly important that we have to you know, attend to these interests while attending to safety. And so as an HR department, we really feel like um, the district has done an incredible job taking the appropriate stuff to take those safety, put those safety measures into place. But with that, we're dealing with many staff members who need some additional accommodations. Um, and so we're working with them one-on-one. -on -one. 
um, trying to determine what are those appropriate accommodations so that they can meet the needs of our students, whether it be in a remote situation, hybrid, or in person. So that's just a little background. Um, and so let me give you a look at our secondary enrollment. And I, I alluded to what our plan was uh, a couple weeks ago when we last met. And again, I'll, I'll restate that I, I'm proud of the fact that we took the data and we didn't just stick with an initial plan. Um, we, we amended it after looking at what our students needed. Um, and we determined that the best course of action was a school within a school model. And that's what we've been working on the last couple weeks. <clears throat> this has been, I think, as I've mentioned in the past, a pretty heavy lift for our administrators, our secondary administrators, and, and in particular, our counselors have done a tremendous job essentially building two master schedules from scratch in, in the last couple weeks. Um, now, in doing this, it, it does meet the best the needs of our students and that they're working with their teachers and their school communities. Um, those teachers are working with families that they know. There's clear advantages. <clears throat> now, what we're finding with this is most of our secondary staff members will teach in a hybrid, in a blend. So they're teaching both some in-person sections and some remote sections. Conversations have gone really well. Um, and this is an example, and I know it's kind of small, but I think you can see that this is a, an example of a, an actual teacher's schedule at one of our high schools. And so you can see that first period, that is a in-person A-push class. Um, second period is a remote. Uh, they've got some IB in-person, a plan period, a couple in-person in A-push classes, and then finally a remote. And so that, again, is what best met the needs of, of those kids. Um, and again, it meets the needs of, of that staff member as well. Uh, because of this approach, uh, we've really had little change or no change to our secondary staffing. And this is kind of a boring graphic, but basically what it states is, you know, our projected FTE for each of our feeder patterns was, was that. You can see that there, and that's exactly what we're currently going to use. And so that staffing hasn't changed. Moving on to elementary, uh, we did stick with our initial plan, which was to essentially pull some teachers out into a remote program because, again, it made sense for, for kids. Um, in saying that, we still kept the same tenants that uh, I mentioned previously, and that was to keep students with their same cohort of, of um, friends, peers, if, if we can, with a teacher within their school, if we can, and then at the very least to attempt to keep a teacher with students in the same feeder pattern. Uh, Kevin Hansford, Mr. Kevin Hansford, has been working with our HR team and has done a tremendous job in <laughs> attacking this, this beast that is elementary staffing. And you can see that um, we're, requir we're requiring 178 elementary remote staff members compared to 479 elementary in-person staff members. All of those conversations have been had. Uh, teachers are teaching in solely remote situations, some in-person, um, and I think we've met the needs of most of our teachers, or preferences, excuse me, of most of our teachers in the elementary level. So with that, that is my staffing update, and I think I'll stand for questions at the end. Correct. Dr. Dennis. Good evening. I'm Darren Dennis, Director of Curriculum Instruction and Assessment. And I'd like to share with you some information about uh, our learning expectations, and I want to ground it in what Dr. Fulton said earlier about our objectives as a district. Because this is all about personalized learning plans for students, 
It's about being college and career ready, and it's about developing interpersonal skills. And so in a very real way, this is um, making uh, the objectives of the district real. So I'm going to share with you some information about curriculum, about instruction and assessment. Those are, are my areas. Um, our curriculum work over the past few years has re been really helpful to get us uh, ready for where we need to be right now. We have been working on developing priority standards to identify within state standards those that have, have the leverage that would uh, allow us to be most effective in, um, in teaching kids and, and in furthering learning. And so that has been the work of several years. Over the last year or two, we've also started developing proficiency scales. The proficiency scales really operationally define what we mean by the priority standards. In other words, it lets us know not only what it looks like when you have that skill or that knowledge, but it also gives us an idea of what the building blocks are to help get there. So the proficiency scale will, is a communication tool as well as a, a tracking mechanism uh, for student learning. And so we have developed those. Uh, they're ready to go at the elementary level. At the secondary level, I'd say we we're, we're, would normally be in a pilot phase, but we're going to put those out there so we can get them in teacher hands and get experience with them. We'll certainly want feedback on those as we, as we move along. Uh, I would also just highlight, too, the, the importance of collaboration, our collaborative teams, our professional learning communities. Working together, learning together, planning together uh, will make a huge difference as we move forward. Uh, not only in the curriculum side of it, but as we move into instruction. We know how critical instruction is, and um, that's where the learning teacher and student meet uh, in the learning process. In the spring, we did some, I think we did some very good work, but we also know that we need to up our game as we move into this fall semester. One of the things that we are, are committed to is direct in-person, I'm sorry, direct daily live instruction, whether that be in person or remotely. In other words, interaction between teacher and student live on a daily basis. That was not something that was uh, a prominent feature, at least in the spring, but it's something we're committed to uh, here as we move into the fall semester. We also know that there need to be opportunities for more than just one-way communication. Instruction is two-way. It's about feedback and about learning. Uh, and so there will be opportunities for small groups, for individual uh, practice with teachers uh, during that instructional time. Uh, it is not all about screen time. In fact, if we have kids who spend the entire day on their screens, I would say that's really not appropriate. They, there, there's a time and a place where the screens are important, and there's a time we would put those away and we do other things. We read, we research, uh, we write, we do other things besides um, interact with the screen. We have a new tool this year in, in helping us to meet our instructional needs, and that is uh, Canvas, our new learning management system. And so that should help us with our communication. It should help us as teachers post assignments and activities and provide feedback. So we're excited uh, to learn more about that, and teachers will have uh, extensive opportunities to work with it before students return in, uh, on September 8th. And we are also committed to the response to intervention process in that system. The response to intervention process is not only core instruction for everybody, but it's also support for students who need it 
who need um, intervention, who need intensive instruction because they are at risk of falling behind. And so we will have systems in place at the building level to, uh, to address those needs. In addition, uh, we are committed to having assessments that drive our instruction, to, to give us the data we need to know where kids are and where we need to go with them. Um, toward that end, Dan Grumman, our assessment uh, guru, has been developing um, support for remote assessments because we know that's where we're going to begin. And so he has uh, a calendar in place. He has um, guidance developed for implementing the NWEA map and Dibbles, Acadians, uh, remotely. So all of those assessments that we would normally give, we would, we would give or plan to give this fall. Uh, we also know that assessment happens informally, and so teachers will be developing their own assessments, formal and informal, and giving students feedback. Uh, the feedback is so critical to the learning process, and we know what research says about how important that is. So with that, I'm going to step aside and turn this over, and we'll stand for questions at the end. Good evening, everyone. Thank you. <clears throat> My name is Sherry Demeline. I'm the Special Education Director um, for the district. And so I want to provide you um, a brief overview of the work that we've been doing most recently, in addition to just an overview of service delivery um, and what that can look like for students. And so one of the things that I just want to emphasize um, is that special education is we have an obligation to provide students services regardless of the delivery of our um, general education services. Um, so whatever learning model that we'll be in, those special education services would continue. That doesn't mean that they would continue in the same format um, as that district learning model. So if we're in remote learning as we're starting this school district, um, the school year, we will have some students who absolutely will be able to access those services in a remote capacity. We will have other students whose needs warrant them to be on site to receive those direct services um, from our providers, whether it's um, a related service provider or whether it's a special education teacher. And so how that will be, and we will have some students, honestly, that will have a combination of both to where they're going to want to access um, some services in a remote capacity, but maybe only come up for a physical therapy appointment um, or, or something of that nature. And so we'll work with our families to map out what those individual needs are for those um, cases. Um, <clears throat> how that is determined is that um, as staff report back tomorrow, so we brought our special education staff back actually last week and started providing training for them in regards to um, the requirements and how the requirements for special education is really not changing. Um, and so we've walked through um, with our staff what, their, what our obligations are and then how we can meet those obligations in, a safe, um, in, a, in the safest way possible. And so with that being said, our staff were trained on, um, obviously all of our students in special education have an individualized education plan and our intent is to implement that to its fullest extent possible. When we have cases and circumstances that we're not able to do that, our staff were trained over what's called an alternative service plan, where we may need to make some adjustments, not changing our original offering of FAPE, but talking about in this interim, in the learning model that we're in, these are the services that we need to be providing the student because of the circumstances. If we make changes to these plans, 
it always requires parental consent in the instance that I'm describing right now. So our parents are going to be actively involved as part of the process. And so I would anticipate, I do know that some of our staff began working with families last week. That work will continue um, upon the start of their contract tomorrow. And then they'll devise um, individual plans for each of the students within our school district. In regards to our service delivery, like I mentioned before, um, kind of like what Dr. Dennis had mentioned, our services will, um, if, if it is a remote situation, again, we have families who have selected remote and due to the needs of their family, those students won't come on site, but we will still have live um, remote instruction for those students um, to whatever capacity is determined appropriate for that individual um, and for that family. And so we're prepared to um, honor those pieces. The other pieces that we'll have also small groups and individual, um, sessions that would occur as well, whether that be, um, again, on-site or in that remote capacity, so we can honor those pieces. Um, talking a little bit about what Dr. Schumacher mentioned earlier as regards to staffing and special education and how that um, looked. So we did a similar process in partnering with our human resources department and as many preferences um, that we could um, navigate and honor, we, we wanted to partner and, and honor that. I will also say that we discovered, we received an overwhelming interest from our staff to try as much as possible to keep their caseloads and their school communities as intact as possible. And I will say, for the most part, we were able to do that. We did have a few instances. Um, the numbers and the needs just didn't, um, it wouldn't really be feasible in an eight-hour school day to be able to honor all of those pieces. And so we uh, made some adjustments and shifts accordingly. As it, regard, um, as it relates to um, location of services, I've mentioned this previously, the setting in special education is critical um, and it matters, whether it's a general education setting or it's a special education setting. And we have to honor um, those variances. So if a child's IEP indicates that they'll receive services in a general education setting, we have to provide that service in a general education setting, unless the team comes back together to make a determination that at this point in time, um, perhaps I don't want my child to receive that service because of risk of exposure or things of that nature. But for the most part, we would honor those requests unless um, those services, unless the team came together to make um, an adjustment to uh, the service. Safety protocols, we have, as Shelby has given you guys updates regularly, we have um, purchased a great deal of PPE to start for our staff in regards to um, the use of uh, masks, um, clear masks and shields and um, gowns and um, all of the necessary equipment. And I know that Shelby and her team are working on um, a nice flow chart in regards to this type of um, this type of action would require this type of PPE, um, so in, just so that staff feel fully informed as to if I'm perform, performing this sort of duty, um, this is how I would essentially gear up um, to engage in that. And then the other piece, um, is IEP meetings. Obviously, we still have obligations to have IEP meetings. We'll continue to facilitate IEP meetings. Um, I will tell you that as 
If possible, it would be our recommendation that we would do those in a virtual capacity. Again, just minimizing the number of individuals um, in a space. Uh, if it's not possible because maybe the nature of the meeting or some information that we need to share, it may be a dual situation to where we would have some individuals who would be able to be on site and then others would be remoting in. Um, if, and then if that's not possible, then obviously we would work to secure a space where we could adhere to all um, safety protocols, distancing and et cetera. So that's all that I have. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Good evening, everyone. I'm Christy Ziegler, Chief of Student Services, joined by Drew Lane, Executive Director of Information Communication Technologies. We are here to update you this evening on uh, an issue that we have talked about in previous meetings, and that is internet access. Again, when we began the meeting, the comments about inclusive and equitable culture, this is a piece that we know that we have families that um, are needing some assistance, uh, that we have students that are in homes that do not have internet access. So later this evening, there's an action item for your consideration to support the purchase of uh, Khajiit smart spots, which are cellular hotspots that we would obtain and be able to provide to our families in need through a checkout system. Um, we are proposing that we would secure 500 of the hotspots. Uh, the plan that we have uh, proposed is an unlimited data plan. One of the things that Khajiit, uh, which came, they came highly recommended, we've checked references and they are glowing from a number of districts, uh, smaller and larger than us that have been with them for a number of years. Um, they are unique to the market because they do contract with multiple carriers. We know in a district the size of our own that there are um, some uh, carriers that work better than others in different spots of our community. So that was a nice value added that we were able to find with this um, proposal. Also, um, one of the unique pieces to this solution is there is a robust management support uh, platform. They have a unique system um, that allows for not only um, an additional layer of filtering, which we know our families value, but also the ability for the district to monitor device checkout through this uh, system, activation of the device, and also the data utilization. So if you find a device is being utilized or maybe underutilized and maybe a situation's changed with a family, we'll have a reporting mechanism that's easy to use on the back end for our support staff to manage those devices and potentially reach out to a family and find out, you know, are they needing some assistance? Maybe the situation's changed and internet access is no longer necessarily a need and we can get a device to another family. We're working with our um, leadership and learning team and we'll have plans for distribution out for the principals later this week, which will include an application process um, so that they can communicate easily with their families and collect that information back and we can get those devices checked out as quickly as possible. So we thank you for your consideration and we look forward to talking more a little bit later this evening. That's all right. Good evening. You will recall that just a short two weeks ago, you all um, approved a learning support care program option, pilot program for the employees of the Shawnee Mission School District. And I will tell you, it has been my pleasure to work on and advocate on behalf of our employee team uh, to provide some care for them um, as they prepare to come back and to do the critical work that they do. And I will tell you that overwhelmingly, um, the communication that I've had with our, our team members, they are grateful. Um, and we've had great response so far. 
I want to also take a moment to um, thank our partners at JCPRD, Johnson County Parks and Rec, and YMCA. They have continued to be really flexible, um, very supportive as we've tried to build this program. So I'm here tonight to share the update with you. Um, we sent out the email. Of course, every time you send something out, you're wondering, will we get a response? And we did, and it's been very positive. So currently we have, um, actually these numbers have been updated today because the demand has grown. In fact, in the last week, we've enrolled an additional 20, more than 25, actually probably closer to 30% in just the last week. So we are up to 100 and, about 162 students enrolled, and we um, are anticipating 14 sites now. We actually um, added one to make sure that we would have enough coverage, and that reflects um, employees' children enrolled in 32 now of our schools in the Shawnee Mission School District. One of our sites, um, we were a little concerned because our pre-K enrollment of staff members was really small, but we've had some late enrollments, and so I'm, I really appreciate YMCA has been willing to um, open a site, even though we probably are not going to meet that eight, may not meet that eight student, but they're willing to support us so that we can have a pre-K option for our employee families, and so I really appreciate them doing that. I also want to say a great um, shout-out to our elementary school principals as I've called to work on the space um, they all are wholeheartedly in support of this and have worked hard to help us find the space and we'll work so that we can get those spaces licensed quickly hopefully to have this ready because the care program will begin on the first day that students attend school and I look forward to answering any questions you may have um, later thank you very much Mr. Kramer Uh, good evening. Richard Kramer, Director of Activities and Athletics. I also have the Coordinator of Performing Arts with me, Bill Thomas, uh, for later. Um, my, um, my news here is, is old news already. Um, so I got some good news to, to add to my slide here. First, though, I want to compliment all our coaches. I want to compliment all our student athletes. And I want to compliment our ADs. They have done a tremendous job following our mitigated protocols and allowing us to continue up into a point safely and uh, very well attended, and it's been exceptional for us. Uh, all participation activities, though, have been suspended as of last Friday due to the Johnson County Health Department guidelines. We did have those talks with Keisha. Uh, a lot of the large school districts got with Keisha, told them our concerns, they listened, and as of today, they proposed an alternate fall season uh, to the executive board. It was approved. Now it goes to the board of directors this Friday for a final vote. So I would tell all our patrons and all our athletes and our coaches, we want to have a season, and we want that season to be now. But we understand that there's some things that won't allow that to happen. So now we have an alternative season in case we can't continue with our fall season. Our first goal is to have fall sports. But now Keisha has provided us a plan and uh, just was released at 6.45. So I haven't had a really a chance to digest it yet. But I think it's a solid plan that will allow our athletes 
if we can't continue to have a competitive season at an alternative time. So that's kind of where we are with athletics and activities at this point. Good news is, though, Keisha has provided and it has been approved an alternative season for our kids. I look forward to any questions at the end of the meeting. Good evening. It's Shelby again, back with the doom and the gloom. Sorry. Um, okay. Johnson County is not moving in the direction that we need to be. Percent positive today was 10.5. As you recall, we need that to be below 10 to reach the yellow or the hybrid. Uh, cases per 100,000 are 134 today. We need that to be below 100 to reach our hybrid model. New cases are increasing, and we would like to see that steady or decreasing to reach the hybrid model. Of note, Saturday was our largest number of new cases reported to date in Johnson County at 237. Just as a visual reference, this is the Johnson County Department of Health and Environment gating criteria. As you know, this shows that elementary students in the red or remote can be full in person. And if you can read that tiny print, it says following safe opening principles. Sorry. And this is the Shawnee Mission gating criteria that we released. Shawnee Mission leaders met and had a lot of discussion around the issues. A big part of that discussion related to mental health issues, and we've heard multiple references today about suicide rates. It's important to know the facts. Tim DeWeese, director of Johnson County Mental Health, made a statement last month, and he said, we cannot use deaths by suicide as an argument to ignore the guidance of public health officials. He went on to say that from January to July of 2020, we've had 47 suicides. The previous year, we had 30, 39, but the year before that, we had 49. So we're higher than last year, but lower than two years ago. And again, it's just important to know these facts. Additionally, specific to the elementary level, several articles have been published recently calling into question the results of the South Korea study. Everyone references that initial study, but it's important to know more research has come out since that study and will continue to come out. Honestly, we aren't going to know the truth about this virus for years to come. And so we decided if we were going to err it was going to be on the side of caution. Shawnee Mission School District made the decision we were going to keep elementary with sec secondary for the start of the school year. If you remember, we said we were gonna take it slow and do it right. That doesn't mean we aren't bringing elementary kids in as soon as we can. It just means we're starting with caution. So here are the questions I get most about the gating criteria, health and safety. Why is Shawnee Mission School District choosing to follow Johnson County gating criteria? So this question confuses me because in everything we do, we have always followed our health experts. 
When we have a student with a significant heart issue, we follow the advice of their cardiologist. Sometimes it differs from the advice of their family practice doctor. When we have students with diabetes, we follow advice from their endocrine docs, not their general pediatrician. And we have excellent relationships with pediatricians all over the county. It's not that we don't trust them, but they're not the experts in the endocrine field. So when we are faced with a public health crisis like COVID-19 pandemic, of course, we turn to our public health experts. Johnson County has a team of epidemiologists and physicians that work with these issues day in and day out. They're specifically educated in this field and have excellent relationships with local hospitals and the state health department. If we didn't follow the public health experts, I'm not sure who we would follow. So the second question, why is Shawnee Mission School District's starting point more restrictive than allowed by the Johnson County gating criteria? Again, we said from the beginning, we are going to start slow and do this right. Johnson County gating criteria states we can have elementary students fully in person doing, during red or remote following safe opening principles. And that is exactly what we're doing. We need to allow our teachers to get into their buildings starting tomorrow and collaborate with their teams to discuss and determine how to implement safe opening principles. Details of schedules for bathroom breaks to avoid crowds, plans for recess to keep kids separated, lining up in the hallway with six feet of distance need to be worked through. We are going to allow, as required by Johnson County Department of Health and Environment, our teachers the opportunity to build those safe opening principles into their day with their grade level teams. They'll look at masking. Where will students keep their masks during PE, lunch, and recess? Hand washing, when will that occur throughout the day? And cohorting. What does that look like for reading and math groups? I've explained it like this. If you're a good math teacher, you aren't giving multiple step new math problems within the first couple weeks of school. A good math teacher is going to build those skills. So a few, in a few weeks down the road, those students will be successful. We are approaching return to school as any excellent teacher would. Slow, build the confidence and the skills, and that will help us be successful. And so the last question, what role does personal responsibility play in community health? And I just can't say enough about this third question. So for another math lesson, our community is the sum of its parts. Our weakest parts, the weakest links right now, are individuals who aren't taking personal responsibility. These individuals aren't wearing masks, they're attending parties and large gatherings, they're having sleepovers, and they're allowing teens to hang out indoors at friends' houses without masks on. If our entire community doesn't start behaving in a way that decreases our numbers, we could be in red and yellow for a very long time. And if history repeats itself, our data is going to reflect poor numbers after Labor Day because people will make choices that aren't in line with what we should be doing. So I ask each of you here tonight and those listening in 
staff members, community members, moms, dads, teens, athletes. How well are you personally doing in your work to get our county numbers down? The way each of you answer this individually is the role you are playing in the health of our community. With that, I'll turn it over to Dr. Fulton. Okay, well, thank you. Just two more slides. We have a goal. It's to have school in person for every student every day as an opportunity for them. We, we all desire that as a goal. That's what we're after. But we know in order to do that, there are certain parameters that we need to meet. At the secondary level, at the very least, we need to get it down, down into the yellow gating criteria. The elementary level, we need a strategy to get to move, our, move us forward. I want to spend my time right now on elementary. We are focused on really taking some incremental steps forward. They're going to allow us to build capacity for a safe and sustainable learning environment. It's been mentioned a couple times that for the first time tomorrow since March, we have all of our staff in. We're very excited about that. With that comes the opportunity to begin to build up a sustainable path forward for learning that's going to meet the needs of our students. And at the elementary level, that means we can begin the work of putting more details than those that we already have in front of us. And we have quite a few uh, plans already in place. But really putting the details on this goal of getting to in-person learning. And so what we're going to be doing in the week ahead is principals are going to be sharing their plans for hybrid learning with their staff. And we're going to fine-tune those plans with the idea that we want to move to hybrid as a first step forward at the elementary schools as quickly as we reasonably can. And so here's what we've asked them to do. Take your plans, review them, and finalize them for both remote and hybrid. Now, we had a lengthy meeting on Friday with the Department of Health. One of the challenges that we've had in Shawnee Mission that no other district in the county faces is that we have sixth graders in our elementary school. Everyone else is either K-4 in the case of Gardner and everyone else is uh, pre-K-5. Why is sixth grade an issue? It's an issue because from the very beginning we've understood that there's been guidance, particularly around this South Korea study, that in order to bring students in safely, you really needed to pay attention to the age of the child. And that the study suggests that somewhere in that 10 to 12-year-old range is really the cap in terms of uh, bringing students in when there are higher rates of transmission. In our discussion on Friday, we, dig, we dug into that in more detail. And we all walked away in agreement something that I think was, was known, but we really needed to codify, and it was this. The age, in order to do this safely, the age you really need to look at is 10. Now, 10 is not an absolute age, but it's, it's an approximal age, and what you do is you don't look at, at, 
at the age per se, but you look at what grade level are 10-year-olds in. Well, substantively, 10-year-olds are in fifth grade. You see fifth grade being used a lot in this modeling, and that's why. And so what we are going to have to do as we move from remote, which is going to be our starting point, into hybrid, which we hope to do uh, in a very reasonable amount of time. I want, the, I want the schools to help me out with this because they know what it's going to take to get there. But in a very reasonable amount of time, build a plan to do hybrid learning at the elementary level. Now, as a former sixth grade teacher, it pains me to think of the idea that we're going to have to uh, not include sixth graders in that hybrid plan. But if we're going to follow the data, then we're going to follow the data. And the science of this is as clear as we can possibly get it. And that is that sixth grade is going to have to follow the gating criteria for secondary. And I want to emphasize something. That is already happening in every other Johnson County school district, except here. I, I don't like splitting off sixth grade from elementary for this purpose and this purpose only. But it's what we're going to have to do if we're going to dial up a remote, or I mean, sorry, a hybrid learning model, whether we're in red or we're in yellow. Shelby went through the data. I think we were all hoping that we were in yellow heading to green. Not only are we solidly in red, but again, if past behavior is predictive of future events, then I think there's a high likelihood that we're going to be in red for some time. I hope not. But we can't plan on hope. We've got to plan on what we know is in front of us. And so Johnson County, Department of Health and Environment, has in their modeling set forth uh, the fact that we can bring all students in. What we've said is, that's right. But there's some conditions. And they lay that out. There are certain criteria that you have to be able to follow. And in order for us to meet those criteria, we've got to learn new sets of behaviors. We as staff, students, and also we need a lot of help from parents. So by starting in remote, for what I think and hope will be a relatively short period of time, we can work with our staff to dial up a hybrid model that is safe. The hybrid model is not ideal. Ideal is having every student in. But the hybrid model has built into it some safety mechanisms that are important. They include Mass, yes, but also six feet of social distancing. Exactly the same thing as we do here at our meetings. That's a good starting point. It's a redundancy that ensures safety. In order to go beyond that, you're going to put 25 students in a classroom and they're going to be in pretty close proximity to each other. That's going to require them to wear masks appropriately. It's going to require other kinds of measures that we're going to have to be able to be really good at doing. And it's our goal to get there. But first, we're going to learn how to do some of these basic things really well. And then, as we 
master some of those things and we'll be able to move toward in-person instruction. And I hope by then, and I hope it's in the near future, but I hope as a community we're doing those things that we need to do to get this uh, transfer of COVID-19 down to a more reasonable level. So uh, the principals and we'll be working this next week, this coming week. Uh, they'll be updating their plans, which are extremely well done, but they've got to do some little bit more customizing for their schools. Once they do that, I'll be able to gather feedback from them. And uh, my goal is by Friday to do a report out to the community on where we're at with a potential. My goal would be to bring a timeline forward on when we can realistically transition from remote into hybrid. Look, we always knew that that was something that was the goal, right? It's within the gating criteria. Yes, we're starting more restrictive. That's why. We've kind of gone through the why, and now here's the outcome that we want to get to. So with that, I am happy to stand for questions, as are other members of the team. And there's a few others here that didn't speak that we may bring up to respond to some of your questions. That's a very long report. We apologize, but I thought you might find this helpful in light of the community engagement around this topic. Thank you, Dr. Fulton, um, everyone else who presented. We'll just do a round robin around the table. Um, if I can ask board members to try and keep it to one initial question with one follow-up, and then we'll go so that everybody has a chance to do that. And um, I'll start with Ms. Borgman over there on the right side. But just one question. Oh, sure. Yeah, just one question yeah. and one follow-up. Yeah. Right, right, so that we all have an opportunity to keep the conversation going. Thanks. Mm -hmm. One question and a follow-up, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. thank you. So two questions. Right, it's a follow-up to the same question. <laughs> One question and one follow-up. <laughs> because if you ask your question and then you don't understand or you need something additional with the with the follow-up, but just the follow-up. I know this I know this team's ready for questions, so yeah. we'll, we'll be happy to happy And we to are ready you. to ask, so thank you. Go ahead, Ms. Workman. Okay, so my question is around gating criteria. Sure. And um, so when and if we move from one color to the next, whether we're gonna cross our fingers and hope we go yellow and then green quickly. Um, but if we should go black, for example, how does the district and how quickly does the district determine what happens with school? So the day, for, do you know what I'm saying? I do. Okay. And um, I can answer that, but Shelby may sure. want to jump in. Black is highly problematic. If we get into black, that means we're probably back to shutting things down. And that would include dealing with the question of whether or not we should even have staff coming in. That was one of the conversations we had with the county the other day. We don't want to go into the black zone, and there's no need to, as long as we're, our behaviors are keeping it lower. Um, so that may be something that we have to do fairly quickly. Now, in terms of, in terms of uh, if we're in red, and going to yellow, or the other way around, uh, what we've told parents is, is that we want to give them a minimum 14-day notice. Now that does actually, it impacts secondary for sure. At the elementary level, though, our goal is once we make the transition 
Because, because it kind of the same criteria really apply for yellow and red. Once we make the transition from remote to hybrid, unless we're in black, there's no reason that we should have to go back unless you get an outbreak in a classroom or a school. There could be localized situations where that happens, and, it could ha and in that case, it could happen very quickly. But short of that, if we do this right, and we do it in a sustainable way, which is the goal, then we should be able to move from remote to hybrid, stay in hybrid, and then the we'd have the same goal as we practice those behaviors in hybrid, and then ideally get from hybrid into uh, all students in the classroom. But there's going to be a, you know, it's a series of steps. Did, does that answer your question? Yep. A 14-day four, minimum in the transition. Mr. Stratton. Go ahead if you have Well, the only thing I would add to that is the county health department explained it to us that um, they can predict using the data, the previous data, they can predict for us the next 14-day chunk of time. So I think that's important to know. We're not, not flying blind when, when Dr. Fulton's trying to make that decision. He is basing it on the data that the county is interpreting. Thank you. Those pretty much almost answered my question. Um, and so I'm going to walk through a hypothetical. Uh, you talked about uh, in-person, or I'm sorry, hybrid, and making sure that we have safe operating principles in place in order to move from remote at the elementary to, to hybrid. Um, the timing is the same question I had. So would there be a determinant starting the first day would be the first day of class would be September 8th, so then conceivably could the very first day that it could possibly be considered to move to hybrid September 22nd, meaning 14 days from that day, or did I just misunderstand Shelby's answer? No, I, I think in fact it goes back to this slide. We have, we have principals and staff in starting tomorrow. We already have hybrid plans for every single school. They are in really good shape. So what we need to do though is we need to make the adjustment for sixth graders. And we also need to have the staff interact with them because I'm sure there's things at each building that now that they have a chance to really look at it in even a little bit more detail that they're gonna polish. We'll have them do that, have them get back with us with their feedback. And then from there, what we hope to do uh, by the end of the week is if we can, establish what our timeline might be for a transition. So, and the reason I say that is, is that we are assuming, not because, again, not because we want it, but I think you, you look at the data and knowing that there's a pretty good chance we're going to stay in red, let's just build a model that can work in red or yellow and then just stick with it. And we're good until we move into black and then that's a problem. Does that answer it? It does. Thank you. Dr. Sinclair. Okay. So I'm going to continue on with this gating, this um, round of questions around gating criteria. So if I look at those kinds of behaviors, if you look at the Johnson County um, criteria when they talk about for the elementary, um, in particular in persons um, following safe opening principles. So if I wanted to understand what those in-person, what those safe principles were, that's kind of that Appendix A that talks about 
um, promoting the hygiene, uh, much like we heard tonight about wearing face masks, washing hands, and so that all of those practices are some of the things that our teachers coming back tomorrow for the first time will be able to really work through all those little idiosyncrasies of how that's going to look in in transition or when our specialists are are coming into the each of the different classrooms or kids are going to lunch. So all of those practices are what that are listed in Appendix A would be the focus of of some yes. of those startup kinds of things we want to be successful with yeah. so that when we get to hybrid, we can stay with hybrid. That's, that's exactly right. Okay. And remember, too, it's, you, can, you can have generalized sets of strategies. And the county's identified those. We have other resources that uh, local resources were that people identify those strategies, right? But those play out a little bit differently in every single building. Every building has a different, most of them have a different design to them. There are different numbers of students. So you have to build a, kind of a customizable strategy, building by building. And that's, that's the part, and we have a lot of buildings, <laughs> a lot of kids. So, you know, that's part of the work that we still want to do. And again, we, the staff, are the ones going to carry it out. They have to understand exactly what these procedures are, how they implement them. You know, there's some, what do you do if a child doesn't want to wear a mask? What if we start school and a child can't wear a mask? Those are things that we have to be able to work with our students on and help them to be successful. So um, anyway, yes. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Reverend Guy, you're on deck. Um, yes, I just have a question about where we are with food service. Um, yeah, where are we with food service? How are we planning to deliver meals to free and reduced families during this time? Nancy is walking up to the podium right now. And that, that is definitely a Nancy question. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity. We have plans. We should launch um, information out to parents, hopefully tomorrow if all goes well. Parents will order their meals that they want if they're in the remote environment and they will also order meals when they're learning at home in the hybrid model and it can be a, a full price kit it could be a re reduced kit or a free kit that they will actually order their meals based on the menu that we'll be posting because we'll have a remote menu posted and an in-person menu posted and then they will pick those meals up if they're in the remote environment on Friday mornings between 7.30 and 9 at their home school. The um, families that have multiple kids in several buildings, they can call our office and we can help them determine which location would be best so they can pick up all their meals at one spot. In a hybrid model, when the kids are in school Monday, Tuesday, they would then be able to take the meals home with them when they leave class on Tuesday for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Same thing would be when the kids leave class on Thursday, they can take meals home for Friday, Monday, Tuesday. The program is set up. The parents can order however many meals they want. If they're in remote, they can order up to five breakfasts and five lunches or they might just order one breakfast and two lunches. It's all customizable by the parent. Does that answer your question? 
Yes, I do have one follow-up. The schools that were doing the afternoon snack slash dinner option, is that going to be something that families can also pick up, or we will we not be offering that during the remote learning time? That is not an option at this point until the principals design that after-school learning opportunity. So I would say let's wait, let's get school started, and then let's look at um, bringing that program up. You have to be in school. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Did you have a question, Mary? No. Sorry. Okay. Um, I'm going to go ahead and skip my turn, and I'll move on to Ms. Goodberg. I just had a, a question about we're using the Johnson County gating criteria, and I know that Kansas uh, Department of uh, Education has come up with one, too, that's slightly different that we've heard about in the last week. And if you could just describe the differences a little bit for us, and then um, and if we'll be using some of the gating criteria that they've also included in that, if we look at that data as well. You know, they're, they're substantively the same, that particularly the metrics uh, are nearly identical. The, um, and it's not surprising because uh, Johnson County really led the way in the state with coming up with gating criteria to their credit. And I think they definitely drew on Johnson County as a, as a, it in, you know, as a, as a starting point. They use different colors. But uh, again, if you look at the criteria itself, they're, the actual category, the, regardless of the colors, the categories are pretty much the same. The one thing they did do uh, is they added an educational lens to it. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a public health lens, and we can go into that later if you want. But there's an educational lens in terms of the interpretation of what does this actually look like in schools and how do you get it going. And so in what is our red and yellow, they have provision for in-class learning for everybody. But they also have a provision, which Johnson County does not specifically list, uh, for hybrid learning. And they talk about if you if you uh, have more than 15 students in a classroom, and of course this goes back to the amount of square footage you have and the social distancing you can do with students, then uh, you know districts should consider a hybrid approach. Now within the John, and this is something we talked about with Johnson County about on Friday, their model, and I understand why it's this way, is for in-class learning. And I asked him specifically the question, if because this came up in the in the uh, earlier session at three o'clock, concerns about are we following the gating criteria? The goal is to have all kids in. That's really what works best from a public health perspective. But in my conversation with them, they are also clear that the districts have to take this and apply it. Their focus is on getting to to the goal, getting to the ideal. But if you're within the criteria, remote or hybrid, you're at least staying within the criteria that they've set forth. I think their concern is, let's get to the ideal, let's get to the goal as quickly as we can, but let's also not exceed the criteria. When it comes to sports, the Kansas, the KSDE criteria are the same as the Johnson County criteria. And I'll turn to my colleagues to see if they have anything to add to that or if I've misspoken on anything to correct me. So 
I pulled it up just to make sure um, what we were looking at. And so they have the student absenteeism is a part which, of course, nobody can look at that right now. And then they also have the local referring hospital capacity. And we had this discussion on Friday. And that's a ridiculous measure because that comes so late in the game. If you're going to increase your hospital capacity, that's weeks and weeks after you're already doing horribly. So, um, you know, I'm not sure why you would add absenteeism at this point in the game, uh, but then their green is at 3% or less, where ours is at 5 And then, of course, they have that orange column, but it still matches up percent-wise with our kind of green, yellow, red. I'm curious to understand. I, I'm of the opinion that I would like us to follow the Johnson County Department of Health and Environment gating criteria as faithfully as possible, with as much fidelity as possible, as quickly as possible. I have a background in health and health policy, so to me, following the lead of five apolitical full-time epidemiologists in a pandemic is the absolute most reasonable course of action we could take as a district. Um, so I want to confirm that we're working toward that spot of having elementary students in person five days a week, even in a red zone, per the Johnson County Department of Health and Environment criteria. Yeah, we had a great conversation on Friday with that. I'll tell you one thing, we absolutely agree on the outcome. <laughs> the outcome of having all elementary students in every day is important from a public health perspective. We spent a lot of time talking about the value of that when it comes to cohorting. The val the, 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 uh, and we heard it today from a lot of comments. The value of having students in school, both academically and social-emotionally is important. And so we also talked about, you know, how do we get from where we're at to where we know we really need to be? And that's where those, uh, those, those, the, the guidance that they provide in terms of here are all the things that you need to do to, to do this safely become really important for us. What we, what we want to do is we want to get there as quickly as we can, but we want to do it in the right way. One of the things that you hear, and you've probably all heard this a lot too, you'll hear the comment, well, we'll start school, but we won't be able to continue. We'll end up being back where we were, you know, remote or something. And the reason people say that, it's a reasonable thing to say, by the way. The reason people say that is because these criteria, you know, yellow to red, going higher in red or lower in red, the data... Uh, if they keep getting worse, that's really highly problematic. And I think our approach to this is let's do it right, let's do it measured, let's learn our way through this so that as we go from uh, remote to hybrid and eventually get to that goal of having all students in, we don't have to take steps back. Because here's my concern. Uh, and this... I'm going to be honest. This is what causes me to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and not go back to sleep. So my plants outside get watered really well lots of times, but early in the morning. What keeps me awake is this juxtaposition between the need of families, whether it's jobs or, uh, you know, child care, or whatever their family need is, they need schools to work. And that is particularly true for our youngest children. 
it matters. But we've got the challenge of that need against practice that has to get us to a point where staff can also go into that work environment and feel safe. And you know, I, that's important. We all, when we walked into this room, I would venture to guess we felt safe or we wouldn't have walked in here. But why is that? Because we took very specific measured steps based on the science, six feet apart, everybody with masks, certain behaviors, me stepping over there. I could take my mask off, I choose not to, but if you take your mask off, it's okay. But I gotta be six feet apart, especially adult to adult. So anyway, I'm, I'm going too long, but those, that is absolutely, we share that common end goal. That's the outcome we want. What we wanna do is we wanna get there and at each step stay with there. Cause there's nothing worse as a parent than lack of predictability in your life. <laughs> I mean, remote presents challenges. Hybrid's not perfect. It just lets us get, the, get it going safely until we can, we can finally figure out the uh, all-in-person model. Let me, let me add one thing. I think this is really interesting because this has been a challenge for us. When a lot of the models are created for in-person, you know, if we had, and this is serious, by the way, if we had double the square footage in our classrooms, we could go all in person right now, no problem. Because you're six feet apart, you're masked, you've got redundancy built in the system. But that's not gonna happen. Now there is allowance to be three feet apart, but you've gotta really make sure kids are wearing masks appropriately. See, all these safety measures have to be in place and they have to be done with fidelity. That's what we're working on. That's what we have to work on. So, did that answer your question? It did, thank you. Okay, welcome. So, mental health. Um, we heard that time and time again at the listening session at Shawnee Mission West, as well as here tonight in the boardroom for public comment. Can you talk to me about what we're doing to make sure that we're keeping an eye on kids? And, and I will say, I appreciate the statistics about suicide. It's critical we get factual information out there. I have two teens in my house and a tween. Yes, I said that. <laughs> um, and it's a real thing. I mean, mental health, they're sad they can't be with their friends with sports being, you know, stopped or altered significantly. I mean, I don't want to take that away from any parent because, you know, it's a real thing. Can you talk to me about how we're going to ensure some positive mental wellness for these kids starting virtually? I'm gonna start very big picture and then I'm going to, this is a pause, for any team member that would like to come up and talk about that, they can. This is a really important issue. One of our biggest concerns in a remote environment, and we, again, we heard this today, is the mental health of our students. We all know the impact of sitting in front of a screen all day long. And as was shared, that's not, that's not the learning model that we're putting together for remote. But when you're isolated, that, ha that really impacts you personally. And so what we wanna do is make sure that we have teachers connecting with students, we wanna have counselors connecting with students, social workers involved. I mean, even in a remote environment, we're still doing school. We are connecting with our learners. 
And so we want to make sure that they have the supports that they need. And I don't know, Pam or others. Yeah, I can talk more yeah. uh, specifically about the elementary sure plan. I'm Pam Lewis, Director of Elementary Services, and so I've been working with the elementary principals on putting plans into place and then making those applicable to the building sites. And so part of the reopening plan is there's an entire section on social-emotional support because we know how crucial that is. And so part of that is that we have daily morning meetings with all students. So even if you're not on site, um, whether it be we're all remote or we're in a hybrid model where we have A group on site and a B group on site, even if you're not on site, you're still a part of that morning meeting because we know how important it is for our students to stay connected with that classroom, with that teacher and with their classmates. So that's a daily occurrence Monday through Friday as part of the planning with the uh, morning meeting and it's a time to also teach social emotional standards within that time. Um, we also have within the social emotional plan um, family liaison teams so that um, we have teams within the school that are reaching out to families that need to have that additional support um, on a more individualized basis. And so those are some of the pieces that, that we have at the elementary level. But it wouldn't matter if you were on site um, in a remote model or in a hybrid model. Thank you. Do we know any specifics for our middle and high school kids, what that looks like for them, or is that an ongoing discussion? I don't mean to put you on the spot there on that. Um, you know what? Rather than, <laughs> rather than trying to answer that, I think I'd feel a lot more comfortable if I can get that information to yeah, you. Because I great. know that they have very specific plans. Again, teachers, counselors, social workers reaching out to students. But uh, let me see if I can get that Thank for you. Thank you. Just kind of a follow-up. I guess a request because it's we heard that so loud tonight in our community I would like for us to be very um, get this information out what however it looks resources what we're doing just to make I mean we're all on edge right parents I mm -hmm. mean I'm guessing not just kids are you know feeling the stress but also parents too and so we need to make parents feel better about what we're doing for their kids and their mental well-being and their mental wellness. And so whatever the, our plans look like, my request, my ask would be that we are very transparent with that, as well as providing additional resources for parents for Children's Mercy, just how to, you know, how to get in contact with, you know, some, some race, community resources. Yeah, absolutely. On that point of communication, again, going back to our Friday meeting, one of the things we talked about with the Department of Health is perhaps working together on uh, some short videos uh, that might be specific to Shawnee Mission that would, that would help explain some of these important protocols that we need to use and, and also kind of what's going on here and why. Uh, there are a lot of wonderful resources. Children's Mercy has a number of them. Uh, that, uh, that folks have developed that can be really helpful. And so we want to put some of those together. We know that to do this successfully, to get, get students in school and keep them here, that we are going to have to have a lot of parent help. And parents, there's a lot of stuff we all know about, about this virus, but you know there's nothing like a, a short video or a quick read as a parent to say, okay, what, remind me of what I need to do. Cohorting is a great example. We have to get students to cohort, not just within school, but outside of school. That's not always possible. But where it is possible, we need to help people understand that concept and really ask them to please help us out with this. 
because that's going to really help mitigate community transmission. So there's one example of a concept that maybe we can help people understand and apply in their lives. I appreciate it. Thank you. Welcome. Mr. Stratton. So my question is going to be about this, uh, the sports and about Keisha. And I, and, I, and I know this is, the ink's still barely wet on this. Um, are districts going to be able to choose to move should they pass it? Or are all districts going to have to move? Like, for instance, the football is an example in the fall. If Keisha decides this, do all conferences and schools move to the spring or do they get to choose? Or do we even know that yet? Uh, well, we have a little information on that. That Yeah, there would be a, a deadline date. I'm thinking maybe September 21st. You would have to declare whether you want to be part of the alternative season or to continue to try to have your fall season. So that would be up. I, we don't really know yet if it's going to be by all activities or specific sports can choose to opt in, opt out. But it should be said that if you, again, this is very, very uh, new. If you would opt to stay in and try to have a fall season, if you didn't get to half of your games, you would get to continue that in the alternate season, but only up to those X number of games. You wouldn't get a longer season or a bigger season. Mm -hmm. You would just get to complete whatever that would be. Okay. Thank you. And I know it's, it's just happened while we were meeting, yeah. so... Appreciate that clarification. If I may, if I may on that topic, I want to I want to add something. This is really for the benefit of those that came and spoke today, and we and again we appreciate them doing that. But also for those that might be listening, you know, Katie and I have four children. They all went, they were all fortunate enough to attend and finish college. In every case, it was really both a combination of an academic and activity choice that not only factored into their decision of where they went, but in several cases allowed them to go to schools they would not have been able to afford to attend otherwise. So whether it was athletics or debate or leadership, in every case they had opportunities because they were engaged in sports or, or activities or other kinds of events. So I say that because as I listen to the parents, believe me, I get it. I think we all get it. We all get it. And we have to do what's going to be right in terms of community health. That's why... Mr. Kramer, and he won't say this, but I'll say it of him. Mr. Kramer has been working tirelessly in the background to make sure that if we're not able to get this season in, that another opportunity has been created. What, Kate, what, what Keisha did didn't just happen by chance. It happened because of advocacy. And I want you to know he has been a huge advocate for the students of the Shawnee Mission School District to get this opportunity for them. There you go. You didn't know I was going to say that. Thank you, Coach. <laughs> Dr. Sinclair? Um, if I could shift topics, given that the 
the ruling by Keisha is relatively new, so I'm assuming more details will be forthcoming. Um, could I shift to the hot spots? Is, is, is it possible to shed a little insight on what would make someone eligible for a hot spot? Is that something I'm getting ahead of? Just so people can think in their own minds what might. Uh, every question be. here is a good question. If we don't have the answer, we'll tell you. So. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So I'm happy to address that. Initially, our conversations have looked at need that would be based on um, a number of factors that could qualify for uh, determining need. It could be a family has qualified for the federal meal program. It could be that a family um, demonstrates one of the risk criteria that we look at um, in terms of need. An example would be English language learners in the home. Um, also, principals will have some latitude in decision-making, but we will have criteria out to them this week, and those are just a few examples. Does that help? Okay. So it'll be um, need-based on kind of resources versus your own personal ability to connect to something in the location that you live. So if you're kind of in a space that doesn't have great connectivity or is super slow or... Right. Not a lot of bandwidth. It, it's more a function of so we'll, financial need or... Correct. And then we'll also be looking at... like. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Yeah, we're also looking at areas in the district in terms of resources. So when I, I uh, spoke to the different carriers that are available, we're ordering uh, devices in or we propose to order those devices in from multiple carriers. So we're not just gonna have one represented because we do know that there are areas that are, are somewhat of zones that are kind of barren uh, depending mm -hmm. on the character and, and we can switch those out as needed. The other piece to this, and Drew spoke very eloquently in a previous meeting, is we are still working at looking at broadband access in other ways. The hotspots are a temporary fix, but we are still, uh, we have some pretty lofty goals to partner with our local municipalities. Um, we started to make contact already. Um, we had a touch point today that will get us involved in LinkedIn with Johnson County with some of the CARES dollars potentially that are coming um, to support um, internet access as a possibility. That task force is starting to work um, next week. So we'll keep you posted on those other opportunities, but we're not giving up on the, the hope of providing expanded access outside of the hotspots as well. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. um, I won't skip my turn this time. Um, so when we listened to the SPED conversation and we talked about how some of our kids, they're gonna need in-person SPED services, whether or not um, we are in a fully remote option or hybrid option or whatnot, um, you don't actually have to get up. I'm, uh, yep, you're good. I'm, I'm just making sure I heard that correctly. And then I'm hearing that we're going to work towards getting a hybrid model going for our youngest, least at-risk kids. Um, and we're going to be looking at that on a 14-day window and um, no more here in a, a week or so based off of the data that JCDHE comes up with. So we're doing the best that we can to get like our youngest, most vulnerable, less likely to be carriers back in the building. My question is with the JCDHE data, if we can project out a little bit, um, this is not something that we can guarantee under any circumstance really. Um, and then our behavior now impacts where we're going to be four weeks from now or two months from now come the end of October, the beginning of November. I know that they are likely not releasing data 
to show what their projections would be like for, say, the end of October, the beginning of November. But one of the things that um, seemed to be communicated during our listening session this evening was you said it would be one way and then it is another. And I, I want to emphasize, and maybe uh, Ms. Reback can speak to this a little bit, that this is a fluid situation with regards to infection rate. And we do have Labor Day around the corner. So I don't know if we can speak a little bit to the impact of, like we're seeing now the impact from graduation celebrations is what was said at the last Johnson County Commissioner's meeting, is that the high rate right now is due to that. So we could be working towards being hybrid for some kids and then end up in a situation where we enter a black rate of infection and then no one is in the building. That's, that's exact. Once, once we go into that black category, then uh, anything in person shuts down. And again, we would have to evaluate whether any employees come in as well. And the good thing is we can all work remotely, but that has, that gets problematic. You know, right now, everybody can come into work and that's great. But yeah, that's, that's, it is fluid. Do we have any numbers with projections with regards to the rate of growth towards the end of October or the beginning of November? We don't have any that they provide to us. We won't get another update from them in terms of a projection until uh, somewhere in that September, the week of the September 20th or whatever that week is in that range. They'll wait till 14 days after Labor Day before they really begin to, and then they've got to analyze the data and, and then they'll be able to tell us where we're going to be going forward. I'm breaking my own rule and asking additional follow-ups. That's okay. I get to do that. <laughs> so in the last pandemic of record that seems to be the one that people tip their hat to when they're making comparators was this, the Spanish flu, which probably ought to have been named the Kansas flu because I think it started here. Um, in any event, it went south in or around the end of October, the beginning of November, correlating with the regular flu season. Um, it's my understanding that that modeling is, while not entirely predictive, it is something that we can look to to say, you know, this is the example that we have in history to rely upon. Yep. So if we don't get our act together as a community over the course of the next four to six weeks, the conversation we're having this evening is really going to be limited to the first four to six weeks of the school year. And so for us to have an opportunity to get to a hybrid situation for our most vulnerable and our youngest kids, we need the community to help us and participate in risk mitigation strategies in order to get through the semester without having to go back. And I'm just, I guess, agreeing with you as you're nodding with me. Yes, yes. <laughs> So this is, I just want to emphasize for folks listening at home that this is a limited window conversation unless we as a community do something different because I really want our kids to have the opportunity to be in person, especially our kids who are in need of SPED services and who are our youngest kids who really need that in-person instruction. But all of this is a limited window conversation right now if we do not make changes together. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's surprising that a lot of companies who can, and many cannot, but, but a number of companies who can have extended uh, remote learning for 
their employees through the end of this year. I think that's an anticipation of what may or may not happen. It certainly is a contingency for what if schools are not able to start back up. There's a lot of reasons why employers are doing that. Um, and there are a number that have gone beyond the end of this calendar year and gone another year out because there's a lot of uncertainty. And that's why we're trying to get as much certainty into our modeling as we can. Let's get, let's get as much stability as we can into people's lives so they can plan and, and live life, even if it's, whether it's under remote, hybrid, or, or all in person. Thank you. Ms. Goodburn? I was curious to hear from Mr. Thomas. Do you have an update for us on performing arts or anything, that you, any new information since our last meeting? Well, thank you for asking. Um, yes, I am Bill Thomas, by the way. Um, I've been actually in, in conversation with a lot of our directors um, over the last two or three weeks, and I can say actually they're excited about the online potential to get started. They're coming up with some really creative ideas, uh, being in the creative business that we are, um, of how to interact with students and how to provide meaningful experiences. Um, it's just it's an exciting time right now. They're not scared. They're not shying away. And they want to make it totally different than what we had last year. And it's, it's going to be fun. So I'm, I'm excited about where we're headed. Ms. Henry? Yeah, I'm, I have a couple qu questions just about, as an employer, what we're doing for a Shawnee Mission. And I'm curious in particular to know if starting the year off remote for all three grade levels, 12, 13 grade levels, however you count it, yeah. does that have any implications for us as an employer in terms of will we have to furlough or lay off any of our staff who maybe don't have a role to play, bus drivers, classified staff, paraprofessionals? Um, do we anticipate anything like that happening? That's a great question. I'm going to have Dr. A Dr. Atha gets to join it. Um, so our goal is to maintain the employment of all of our, of all of our staff. But we're also realistic that uh, there could be an impact. And so we're trying to build contingency plans for that. Um, because we're very sensitive to the fact that, you know, we need, we're going to need folks. Our hope and goal is to get students back in school. And when you do that, you need bus drivers. You need food service workers. So uh, we're, we're taking it slow. We're hopeful. But we are going to have to take a look at some of those expenses because if, uh, if the services aren't needed at the moment, then it could put us into some challenges uh, with, our, with our budget, to be honest with you. So I don't know, Dr. Rath, if you want to add to that. Well, all of our employees are essential employees, from teacher to bus driver to cafeteria worker to paraprofessional to aid. And even though we may or may not be running the buses, we got to have those bus drivers ready to go. And I don't know how much you know about transportation, but there's a bus driver shortage. I don't know if you know or not, but in food service, there's a shortage. We have 250 employees that are food, work in food service. This summer we had 48 that worked almost every day serving food for our families. Um, you know, our paraprofessionals, they may, we will have things for them to do. We're, we're looking at creative things for our food service workers to do. 
and that will be rolled out tomorrow. And I hate to bring it out in this meeting because Nancy will be talking to her employees at 8 a.m. in the morning. So, but I do want you to know we're going to be very hesitant to go down that road of furloughing our essential employees. So we're going to look creatively at ways that we can can keep them on board, keep them with us, keep them as part of the team, just as we are our teachers and working with them. So, that answer your question? It does, thank you. Can I follow Heather's lead and ask one more sort of follow up in the employment arena of things around, um, one thing as we, these are just clearly difficult conversations. The number of people who have said to me, I do not envy your position, or I'm so glad I'm not in your seat, are infinite. But one thing that has given me a lot of comfort is that I think SMSD has made a really important effort to value our employees and make sure that they're part of each and every conversation. I've taken a lot of comfort in knowing that we have made the option for uh, remote work exclusively available for teachers who feel like that's something they need to pick because of their own or a loved one's underlying health conditions or really whatever their circumstances. So I wanted to confirm, I know there was some discussion about as we rework these secondary school schedules needing to have multiple schedules and teachers who are teaching both remote and in person and I wanted to confirm that for teachers who aren't comfortable teaching in person that we have accommodated them and made sure that they have an opportunity to do their job or something as close to it as we can find um, remotely. Yeah, Dr. Schumacher, would you like to adjust that? Yes, thanks for bringing that up. And and yeah, they, excuse me, they've been challenging conversations that we've had with some staff members, uh, but we're taking those one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, we have, I just looked, we have about 55 uh, ADA accommodation requests into our district right now, and so myself and Ms. Morris are working through those. Um, yes, we are working with those staff members and looking at what their physician's accommodations are. The challenging conversation that we're having, just to be frank, is that um, we have determined that some of these positions they need to be in person for. And so that means, you know, we, we've mentioned this before, we have 8,000 students who have chosen to be remote, uh, which is a large number, but we also have approximately 20,000 that have elected to be in person at some point. Uh, we need our valued teachers to teach those 20,000 in-person um, students. So um, we're working with them and we're trying to find solutions uh, for each of those who have those concerns. Uh, and I'm, I'm confident that we'll, we'll meet those needs. Thank you. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna ask, should we go around one more time? Does everybody have another follow-up? Yeah? No? Your good friend? Jamie, you've got one? I'll let, Jamie, if you're the only one with another follow-up, I'll, I'll shoot it to you and I'll check in with Reverend Guy before we move on. Okay, sounds good. So um, another thing that we heard tonight was they, there was concern about kids receiving a quality education going remote. I know we addressed that on page 10 of the PowerPoint in kind of big, broad terms. Can you it, just talk to parents right now and just talk to them about how we are going to make sure that our children of Shawnee Mission are going to receive a top-notch education in a remote setting. Yeah, I'll be happy to, and I'll invite Dr. Dennis to come up with that. There has been a lot of work done around curriculum, priority standards, common assessments, feedback loops are going to help students as they understand whether they're mastering those priority standards. We've gone to a common uh, instructional learning management system platform 
canvas. It's going to make it a lot easier for have a one-stop shop in terms of where to go to get information as it relates to learning for both parents, students, for parents, students, and staff. Um, those are a couple of the key steps, and I'm going to have you add to it. I think you really um, hit on the key point, and that was those priority standards and keeping our eye on those as measured by our, our proficiency scales um, and re really having a focus on that that we, we did not have in the, in, the, in the spring. So that, to me, is the, the biggest key in this. We're also going to be assessing and we're going to be providing live instruction every day. So there will be a feedback loop. There will be an opportunity to uh, take kids where they are and move them forward with data to show what they need and um, none of that we had before. I'm going to address it. And I would, also, I would also add to that what that would look like on a daily basis. And so as a principal, I'm going to have students in my school working, um, of course, starting out, everyone is remote. Then hopefully when we can actually move into a hybrid model, I would have students on site as well as students participating in the fully remote program. So I would be wanting to check in on all of those students. So I'm going to be following the schedules of my students and checking in the classrooms on-site just as I'm checking in the classrooms that are learning remotely. So I'm going to be popping into those classrooms, I'm going to be observing, um, I'm going to be connecting with students because our job as the principal in leading that building is continuing to keep our school together and that culture strong as well as keeping our schools moving forward towards our goals that we have as schools that we've set. And so we have to make sure that that's happening during um, any, mod any model of learning. We also have it set up to where our teachers have common uh, plan time across the district. And so at the elementary level, what that means is if I'm teaching fourth grade, every fourth grade teacher has that common plan time, whether I am teaching in a hybrid model at the time and having on-site learning, or if I'm teaching in a fully remote model. And so we can still plan together look at data together, plan instruction together. It also gives the opportunity for remote teachers to work together in that model. Um, we also have it set up for staff meeting and professional learning time that we've identified specific staff meetings that will be for our remote teachers to be able to collaborate together and Brogdon who is leading that group as well as staff meetings that the remote teachers will still be connected with the building uh, staff and working with those with their principal and working towards building goals. So that's what it would look like on an applicable level, the elementary. Okay, thank you. And then just my follow-up question to that, will we be doing surveys at some point shortly after school starts or uh, is there a plan? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we will. Whether, you know, surveys, thought exchange, we've, we haven't quite gotten to that point yet, but yes. It's okay, part of our both. ongoing program evaluation when we use a variety of strategies. Okay, so for both parents and teachers, just to yeah. make sure we're checking in. Yeah, it's part parents. of our kind of how and are we students. doing quality control approach, right? What did I say? And students. I said in students. You said Absolutely. parents and teachers, and I said in students. students. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. yes, thank you. Yeah. Critical. Uh, as an extension of your earlier question, I actually, you asked about secondary education, social, emotional. So uh, I have an update for you here. First of all, social-emotional is part of our reopening plans. So there's a section on it. There are, and I'm just going to read here, there are daily activities and expectations for all scenarios with a focus on building partnerships, connecting and cultivating uh, social-emotional learning competencies and capacities, 
creating emotionally and physically safe, supportive, and engaging learning environments that promote social-emotional development, and using data to deepen relationships and continuously improve support for students, families, and staff. And much of the uh, much of these social-emotional learning plans are built around establishing connections with students and families, identifying and addressing their needs prior to any instruction. Social workers are part of uh, the forefront of this work. And uh, the team that works on that, and this is actually from Dr. McKinney, who must be watching the <laughs> tonight because he provided it. So thank you, Dr. McKinney. Uh, he works with Dr. Dennis and, of course, a lot of other team members on uh, on implementing this kind of uh, this kind of focus, so uh, there's there's quite a bit of work going on, and with that again, we're excited about the next few days because we'll be getting a lot of uh, connecting going on with staff to say, now how do we take our plans and really operationalize them in daily life? Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Dr. McKenney. <laughs> Reverend Guy, do you have any questions? No, I don't have any questions. Thank you. Thank you. Were there any other further final questions? I have just one additional question. Um, I, so I have two elementary students myself in Shawnee Mission. I have a niece who is starting whatever remote pre-K looks like in two weeks. Yeah. And being very plugged into the elementary community, I know that parents have about a thousand questions. Um, some of them come to all of us as board members. And I'm curious to understand, um, we're about two weeks away from the first day, day of school, and I'm not asking you to tell me what that's going to look like for families, but what's the flow of communication that we as families should expect over the next couple of weeks, be it from the district or the principal or the teacher? You know, my, my kid thinks he has Miss McCulloch. I don't even know if she's teaching remote or in person. Like, I think it's really helpful for parents to know just basic things like, if we're in remote, is it recorded, or do I need to actually make sure I'm there to supervise my kids learning from eight to three? Just that daily nitty-gritty of how families manage their lives. When should we start expecting more of that? Uh, that's a that's a great question. I actually, I'm going to particularly since it's an elementary question, I'm going to have Pam answer it. I will say one of the advantages of starting remote is, is we're going to have a lot of opportunity to connect with families that first week, especially. So, Pam, do you want to answer? If you, she'll have more detail than I have. So one thing that we've been working on with our principals and they'll be working on with their staff this week is what does it look like on that first day of school? One thing we've talked about that's really important is, number one, we have to get communication out to families and we have to also provide an opportunity for students and families to connect with our teachers and our schools. And, um, you know, it's really exciting. I mean, I can't even think of how many years I've had first days, and this is obviously the most challenging situation, but the most important piece is it's still a first day of school. And it's, uh, you know, you've only got that first, that first time you're in kindergarten, the first time you're in first grade, and, and all of that. And so we know that we are charged with making it an awesome school year and a great start, no matter what model that we're in. And so that's what we've talked with our principals about, about different activities that they can do, how they can connect with those families, get the kids connected with school. And so we'll have a lot of those virtual events that will be happening where typically you may have come up for a parent night and gotten all of that information. It's gonna look different this year, but we definitely will be getting that information out and give you those opportunities. But I hear exactly what you're saying with, what does my schedule look like? 
And that's what our teams are working on when they come back. They're working on getting tra uh, trained with Canvas, getting their classroom set up within Canvas. They're going to be getting their students' class rosters now that we have all of our remote learners' numbers in and, and on-site learners and what that looks like. Um, th those are our next steps that we're working on in the coming weeks. So that will be coming from your building level, um, from your principal and teachers. And the, the communication around a hope that we will end up full person, in full time in person for elementary students in the red zone, red, yellow, and green zones. Will that communication be coming from the district as well? Because I do think it's important for families to hear that if they think, you know, this situation's only going to get worse and my kid's not going to be in person at all, all of this, I'm, not yeah. sure I'm going to quit my job or whatever else is on their minds. How do we communicate that to families? That is definitely a district level communication. And that's something that we've, you know, that in doing that, we have to be really careful, right? Some of this we can't put an exact timeline to, and I know that's what everybody's looking for in life. We all want that. But what we can do is we can be firm on what we know and be clear and honest about what we don't yet know, such as we can't give you a date on when we're going to go in, in person. We've got a lot of steps between here and there. But I think we can educate folks on the fact that we are following the gating criteria. It is within the gated criteria to do so, but that we're going we're gonna to make sure that when we do this, we do it right. And as we progress toward that, we'll be keeping parents in the loop as we create, uh, identify uh, solutions, really, on how to do this in the right way. Looking at everybody, I think we've covered it. Thank you to you if, and your team for the presentation this evening. Thank you, and if I may, if I may close with a brief comment. We are really excited about all of our staff coming in tomorrow. We have a wonderful staff. Our educational professionals are really committed to doing a great job this year. They have been fantastic team players. Everybody wants to see students back in school. And you know what? As Like me, they also want to feel safe doing so. And so I just want them to know that we are going to make sure that whatever we do, we're going to do, do it in ways that are safe for the adults, but also, and also, not but, and, I want to make sure that the students are safe and the families are safe as well as we dial up these uh, learning strategies that we have. We have a great community. Today, we heard lots of different lenses to life, and I'm glad people came and spoke. And we've heard, all of us heard, all of it. <laughs> and, we're, and we're, I just, you know, it's not, it's, it's, it's heard, it's understood, and we're gonna do the very best we can to uh, navigate what is a, a somewhat really complex situation. So, and also as a board, I wanna thank you. You are unpaid volunteers. Unpaid volunteers. Double my money, Dr. Fulton. <laughs> I know. You get a 100% raise. Right? <laughs> but uh, we do it for the love of children. And I just want to thank you for your work. Because you are, you are governing in an unprecedented time. And I just, we, we so appreciate, all of us appreciate what you do. And so thank you. Thank you.
Next item on our agenda is our consent agenda. I'll seek a motion for approval of the consent agenda at this time. Move to approve. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Second, Goodburn. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there aye. any opposed? Hearing none, that passes unanimously. The first item on our action items is 5.1, the approval of the 2020-2021 school psychologist personnel agreement. I'll get a motion in a second, and then Dr. Fulton, if you have anything to say to that, we'll hear it at that time. Move to approve, Borkman. Thank you, Ms. Borkman. Second. Is that Ms. Embry? Yes. Thank you, Ms. Embry. Um, do we have anything to say on this one? Uh, I have nothing to add. Sorry. I have nothing to add. Okay. <laughs> All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none, that passes unanimously. Item 5.2, approval of revised board policy AC. I know Ms. Goodburn is gonna to speak to this uh, just a little bit, but we'll go ahead and get the motion in the second and then hear her comments. I will move approval. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. Second. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Do you wanna tell us just a little bit about this, Ms. Goodburn? Absolutely, well, we've seen AC a few times over the last month, but um, we just keep um, um, fine tuning and um, we did find one, I believe, typo in there and then a couple other just minor revisions to it, just more uh, language to, doesn't change the substance of the policy, just clarifying language. So that's why the committee decided to put it on first read, first and final read tonight. Thank you. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none, that passes unanimously. Same situation with 5.3. I'll seek the motion for approval of revised board policy CF and get a second and we'll have Ms. Goodburn speak to it. Can I, I can move approval, Goodburn. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. I'll second, Sinclair. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Do you have a comment for us on this one? I do. Um, so basically we, um, I believe, went to K, uh, yeah, KSB model policy on this. And so we did not have it before and it's just been revised to be KSB model policy. And so again, um, we, we asked for first and final on this. Thank you. Were there any questions or anything on this item? Seeing none, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none, that passes unanimously. 5.4. Again, I'll seek a motion for approval, revised policy HAE, and get a second, and then let Ms. Goodburn tell us a little bit about it. Move for approval. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Second, Hembry. Thank you, Ms. Hembry. Go ahead, Ms. Goodburn. Sorry, I'm writing this down. Okay, um, again, uh, KSB updated their model policy language and we are have their model policy language. Excellent. Did anybody have any questions? Seeing none, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay, hearing none, passes unanimously. Moving on to 5.05. This is a first reading and not a final reading. So um, right. I'm not gonna seek a motion for anything and I'll just let you speak to it a little bit. Because yeah. of the subsequent change of the policy or the updating of the policy, um, basically it's our current policy is not the KSB model policy um, and does not contain the detailed reporting procedures. So our, um, we've been advised to adopt this policy, but because of all the changes to it and because um, that's why we asked for a second read on this one at the next meeting. So if you have questions or anything else, um, you're more than welcome to uh, send those to Dr. Fulton and the 
we will meet prior to our next meeting and so we can go over any questions that you have. Great, thank you. Move on to item 5.6, approval of the administrative salaries. Um, I, get, I will seek a motion in a second and then let Dr. Fulton just say a couple words about that one. I'll move approval. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Is there a second? Second, Hembry. Thank you, Ms. Hembry. Go ahead, Dr. Fulton. Sure. Consistent with uh, what we did with teachers in terms of a 1.4% increase to the base, we did the same for administrators. Uh, and unless, unless otherwise, unless we otherwise notify the administrator. But as a general rule, administrators received a 1.4% raise. Thank you. Um, any questions or comments? Hearing none, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Any opposed? Passes unanimously. Moving on to item 5.7, approval of the McKinney-Vento Foster and Special Education Transportation Services. Um, this one's pretty clear cut. I'll seek a motion for approval. So move, move, Goodburn. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. Is there a second? Second. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Um, Dr. Fulton, do you want to just say a little something to this? Or? Um, I actually have Dr. Atha do that. Okay. Uh, the cost of this contract is $892,500. It is a one-year contract, and um, it will be paid out of the operations fund. Um, I've reviewed the contract, actually, uh, um, Dr. Ziegler, uh, who oversees transportation, worked with, uh, assisted in, in uh, negotiating the contract, and then our in-service, in-house counsel, uh, Mrs. England, reviewed the contract as well. So what you have before you is what we're recommending this evening. Are there any questions? Go ahead, Dr. Sinclair. Just for clarification, this is about getting our students who are in foster care homeless, providing them transportation to the district for instruction for when we're in hybrid or in person. And Yes, our foster children, our McKinney-Vento children, as well as some of our special needs children. And DS Bus provides transportation to some of our special needs children as well. Is, is this one of those expenses that could be less if we end up spending a substantial portion of the year in remote? I'm sorry? Is this an expense that could be lower if we end up spending a big portion of the year in remote? Like, is this sort of the upper bound? I'm just trying to wrap my head around all the impacts of potentially being remote for yeah, portions of the year. I'm sure we would have fixed costs, um, and we, we'll have to look at that as the year progresses, just like we'll look at DS bus as the year progresses as well. I might add, and just for, for the sake of benefit, McKinney-Vento is uh, the Homeless Act, federal, it's federal law, mm -hmm. and uh, so that's to provide transportation for children who are homeless. It's a, it's a federal law. We're required to do it. Once upon a time, the federal government funded that. They don't anymore, and so uh, they passed a law, and we pay for compliance, but it really does provide children with uh, access um, the transportation that otherwise would uh, be a real hardship for them to continue to stay in a school that maybe they had to leave because of being homeless. And with that, we all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none, that passes unanimously. Moving on to hot spots, very exciting, 5.08. Um, I'll seek a motion in a second. Move to approve, Borkman. Thank you, Ms. Borkman. A second. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. We already had a chance to ask questions on this, but I'll go ahead and give it one more go if anybody has any final. 
Not seeing any. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any, any opposed? And there are none opposed. Moving on to 5.9, approval to purchase referee services from Arbiter Pay Trust Account. Um, I'll get a motion in a second. I'll move approval. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Second. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Um, do you have anything you want to add on this one? Sure, Dr. Atha will give us a quick overview. Each and every year about this time, you uh, approve this contracted service, and this year it's with uh, Arbiter Arbiter Pay Trust account to be able to pay our officials uh, at the high at the high schools and the middle schools. So basically, your approval this evening gives us permission to pay those officials. Faith in the season to come. Yes. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> Voting optimistically. Yes. yes. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none, that passes unanimously. And then item 5.10, 5.10, approval of revised fee recommendations for 2020-2021 only. Do we have a motion to approve? I move approval. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Is there Second, a... Goodburn. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. And Dr. Fulton, do you just want to say a quick word about this one? Yeah, I'm going to have Dr. Atha uh, provide a, a quick update for you. And I, I might add, this is a this is a frequently asked question we're getting from parents, understandably, on uh, activities fees. Mm -hmm. Dr. Atha? Well, on April 27th, we ask you to approve the student fee schedule for the 2021 school year. A lot has happened since April 27th. And uh, uh, in cooperation, or in collaboration, I guess, with uh, curriculum, instruction, assessment, the business office, we've reviewed those student fees again. And there's, uh, you know, there's a, some minor revisions and then there's a couple, what I would call pretty major revisions. Uh, one of those major revisions is to um, reduce the parking fee for high school students, reduce that from $60 to $30. And then the student activity fee to reduce that from $75 to $45. So those are the two major fees we're asking for reduction. So we're bringing that to you this evening to uh, consider approving these revisions. Thank you. Were there any questions for Dr. Atha? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? No, that passes unanimously. Um, we'll start with board comments for this evening. Um, we'll start with Ms. Embry on that side of the table and work our way around. Oh, uh, sure. Um, I actually have slightly prepared comments because I anticipated this was a big day for the district. And I will share that when we scheduled our listening session for today, I had to cancel a meeting with a client of mine that is a mental health provider. And I said semi-tongue-in-cheek that um, I couldn't do it because I would be getting yelled at by people. <laughs> And he responded and said, they're not yelling, they're just caring loudly. And that has been in my head all day that I acknowledge 100% that everyone who spent time to come out today at West and here, whether they're parents or students or teachers, they have something in their lives that they care about very deeply that is maybe gonna happen or maybe not because of this pandemic. And I do not want to take lightly the fact that um, it's taking things away from all of us and it's taking away things that are really important. Um, and it's impossible, I think, as a board member to try to figure out how you stack up all those things on any one side or the other of the ledger. So 
July 27th, this board took a unanimous vote to follow the County Health Department's gating criteria. That was a very easy vote for me to take. Um, I believe students learn best in schools, but I also believe COVID-19 is real and poses real threats to our students and teachers. And balancing all those risks to me is an impossible calculus. Um, and I want science to guide that process. So I, I believe that no profession is better suited for that than epidemiologists. While physicians are trained to treat individuals and think about individual risk, epidemiologists are schooled and expert in community level risks. So we are really lucky that the Johnson County Department of Health and Environment has five apolitical epidemiologists who are suited to help us make these hard decisions. And they really have stepped up to the plate. They were developing gating criteria for our schools before any other health department in the country was developing gating criteria. And um, what I love about this is they have all those years of experience. They have access to data that we don't have, access to data that is not public. Um, they can and do continually update that guidance as there's new data and as there's new science. And when we get guidance from these experts, I take it very, very seriously because I know that they have helped inform that criteria in a way that I never could. Um, so I am of the opinion that the moment we deviate from the guidance of that, the public health community, I think we lose our footing. So when we have a skilled team of epidemiologists who are gonna give advice to us, I wanna follow, I wanna follow that path. Um, in the middle of a global pandemic, it's the only path I can think of to follow. So I wanna thank everyone who took time to come out, but I also wanna particularly thank the team at Johnson County Department of Health. I wanna thank Shelby for working so closely with them. Um, we're really lucky to have data and science to guide us, and I'm grateful for that. I too want to thank everyone for coming out to this afternoon to West and uh, outside here um, cheering us on as we came into this meeting tonight and um, everyone that spoke at the meeting tonight. I just want to uh, say a special th um, shout out to all of our administrators who are just doing um, an immense amount of work uh, to make this and get it right. I want to thank everyone in the room tonight that gave presentations and, and everyone that's been working so hard um, and I'm, I'm excited that our teachers are coming back tomorrow. I look forward to seeing tweets and everything else from excited staff members too. So, thank you. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came out to provide comments both here and at Shawnee Mission West. Um, I'll echo Ms. Embry in that if you take the time to get up and come and speak to us, then it must be something that you're very passionate about or is impacting you greatly. And I think as a community, everyone getting up to speak is very concerned about the health and safety of kids the health and safety of our educators, making sure that we're able to do the mission of our organization, which is to educate kids, but to do it in a way where we all get to come together at the end of this together. And so it's a community health issue and, and we're gonna navigate it to the best of our ability, mitigating risk to the best of our ability and valuing both the students and the educators our nutrition staff workers, our bus drivers, our custodial staff workers. We, we will take all of that um, to heart and do the very best that we can to, to provide what we need to provide to kids, both in person or online if we end up needing to be online. So thank you everyone tonight for your presentations and for the speakers and um, I'll turn it over to Dr. Sinclair now. I would like to reiterate the, um, the degree to which our community does care and is passionate about public education. We get about a close to 100 pages of emails 
a week, I believe is what we've been sometimes a day hitting. <laughs> sometimes a day, yes. So, and we do read those, and we do appreciate um, everyone's commitment and passion about our kids and our community and our and our staff. Um, and I wanted to, um, I just wanted to express my appreciation, Dr. Fulton, to your explanation of the the reopening approach for our district, the commitment to being able to open successfully. Our teachers are just coming back for the first time tomorrow. So giving our teachers that, creating that opportunity um, in this uh, unfortunate, in this um, higher rate of community um, positivity, but to be able to create that opportunity for our, for our teachers and our educators, our staff, to be successful in, in really thinking through what it's going to take to create effective mitigating practices. And I think what I really would like our community to understand is what's unique about our being in a school setting is that, that we, have, um, we have students and staff in a room for six to eight hours a day together. And then we have these folks in the building transitioning to lunch, going out to recess. It's very different than going to the grocery store or, or going to a restaurant or even being outside and, and playing in activities. So there's a, a lot to think through in order to keep um, all of those people involved in those settings healthy and safe. And I know we can do it. And I really appreciate the opportunity that our teachers are going to have to think creatively about all those little idiosyncrasies in really engaging our students to, to be effective at, at wearing masks and, and washing their hands. And I would like to reiterate the, the challenge that our Director of Health Services, Shelby Rebeck, um, uh, talked about tonight about what role does personal responsibility play in community health. I really ask that each of us rise to the challenge of, of trying to mitigate the spread of this disease. Wear your mask, wash your hands, appreciate the social distancing requirements, and let's encourage each other to do that. Because if we can bring this community rate down, we can, we can bring our kids in and have a successful school year and keep them in school. So that would be my wish for tonight. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Uh, just a couple of comments. Uh, thank you to leadership who put together uh, the forum today. Um, that was not something that was on our plate a week ago. And uh, as we continue to hear from folks, engage with folks, uh, it was very important that we had that opportunity. So thank you. I guess the other piece that I would say is um, we're pretty darn blessed in, in the Shawnee Mission, but broadly, bro more broadly in Johnson County. The conversations are very productive and very fluid and very fast moving. You heard a lot of examples of those today. I want to just share a few more that I don't know everybody fully appreciates or understands. The amount of conversations that our staff and that our elected uh, folks are having with the cities, the counties, the other school districts, we watch Blue Valley School Board meeting. We're engaging with the Blue Valley School Board members. We're, we're talking with them. I know the superintendents are very close. These decisions aren't being made in a vacuum. They're made with a lot of engaged conversations. And um, today was a pretty good example of that too. We're getting a lot of emails from folks as everyone's referred to. We're, we're having lots of conversations with folks. Uh, but today I was really grateful that more folks came and spoke to us about it. When I talk to elected officials in all other areas, I ask them, what are they hearing? What, what, what are their communities, what are their neighbors saying as well about what's going on with the school decisions? 
that's very helpful for us to continue to make these very difficult decisions in this environment. But lastly, I can't wait as well to have all of the teachers engaged again in the teaching process. And again, the data and the input that we're going to get from them starting tomorrow is going to be very valuable to the continued decision making we do at this table. So. We're fortunate because I'm seeing a lot of examples around the country where they aren't having good conversations with a lot of good uh, data and input, and it's being done in a vacuum. And fortunately, that's not taking place here. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Reverend Guy, do you have some final closing remarks for us this evening? I just want to wish all the teachers a wonderful first day. I know we have some first-year teachers starting their teaching career this year, and boy, what a way to start a teaching career um, during a pandemic. But I know that they will bring all their creative resources to bear and do everything they can to give their students a high-quality education. So I just hope that tomorrow is a great start to this school year and that the teachers are excited about new opportunities and new ways of teaching um, and, and feel like they're starting to get ready for the students. That's all I have to say. Thank you, Reverend Guy. Ms. Borgman? Thank you. Um, first, I just want to give a couple shout-outs, and then I'd like to just make a quick little closing comment. Um, I had a wonderful opportunity, I know other board members have as well, to hand out food this past week. And I got to meet some new friends in Shawnee Mission. And Dr. Ziegler, thank you so much for all of the work that you did directing traffic. <laughs> um, flagging down Papa John's. I mean, lots of good inside jokes there. Um, it just builds community, and I so appreciate all of the work that you've done and all throughout the summer to make sure that, you know, kids and families got the support they need, so thank you. Um, also, Alyssa Passmore. I can't even say your name, Alyssa, without smiling. One day we're going to have a um, spirit club chair, and you are it. So thank you, Alyssa, for pouring into kids day in and day out at Hawker Grove, as well as all that you, um, the energy that you brought to passing out food. So thank you. So excited for teachers coming back tomorrow. The energy and enthusiasm teachers that you bring is amazing, and I can't even tell you how excited I am. I know all of you are going to bring your A-game, and um, we're very excited to have you back. I know you're excited to come back. So finally, and just kind of my little closing remark, um, just a value of mine is whenever I make a vote, whenever I make a decision, I need to be able to look at that person in the eyes as to who, as to how it impacts them, and the just the impact that it has on their life. And so this is really for kids. Um, there were a ton of kids outside tonight, um, you know, speaking in favor of, you know, let us play. There were tons of kids, or there were other kids there saying, thank you for protecting my mom, my dad, my teacher. Um, it was important for me to look you in the eyes kids that really are passionate about athletics and I hear you I see you I thank you part of what's been heavy on my heart is that kids have not had a voice in this since this pandemic has hit us and 
you know, you haven't gotten to say goodbye. You didn't get to say goodbye in March. You didn't get to have the graduation. I mean, things are just being stripped away from you. And it is, it weighs heavily on my heart. And so the fact that you are here tonight to use your voice, to speak up, was awesome. And I appreciate it. And I hope that we can have other opportunities, you know, for kids to be able to provide input um, as we move forward throughout the school year. Um, students, I want you to know that there are 28,000 kids in this district, and we have a staff that's larger than the size of Sprint that we have to consider. And so I know sports and activities are important. I know that is a critical part of school for so many reasons. Please know that we have to think about 28,000 kids and a staff larger than Sprint when we're making our decisions. Um, I know many of you don't agree with the decision that was made to follow the gating criteria, and that's okay. I just want you to know that I still care about you. Um, one day in the hopefully near future, I will be able to watch you play, whether that's football, soccer, you name it. I'm a huge sports fan, so I'm going to be there cheering you on every step of the way. So thank you, kids, for showing up tonight. Thank you. Seek a motion from Dr. Sinclair to take us into executive session. I move we go into executive session to discuss personnel issues pursuant to the non-elected personnel exception under coma. Uh, and the board will reconvene. Uh, uh, just shut this down. In. It's 20 till roughly. So at 10 after. So yeah, let's do that with a. Actually, can you make it 15 after, and we'll take a five-minute break right okay. now. We'll reconvene at 9:15. I'll and second then. that. Thank you. There'll be no further business after that. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 That was everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.